everybody. You're listening to the We Are Rising podcast. This is your host, Andrew Benjamin. I'm joined once again by my faithful co-host, Jay Christian Gary. From hey, hey, Andrew, how are you doing today? <laughs> doing very well today. And today we have a returning guest. We have the Bellator expert, Teep to the Junk, joining us to talk about the upcoming Bellator 222 show this Friday, live from Madison Square Garden and on The Zone. Teep, I appreciate you once again doing the podcast. What the fuck? Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. And so, we will be talking about, yep, Bellator 222, which will be headlined by, well, hold on, they, I think they changed the main events. No longer Chael Sonnen versus Leona Machida, right? Uh, yes, okay. Rory Grace. It's Rory McDonald versus, versus it's, it's, Roy, it's Rory McDonald versus Name and Gracie for the Bellator welterweight title. Gotcha. Originally, it was supposed to be Chael Sonnen versus Leona Machida, but they changed it, so that was still in my head. But, yeah, this will be the one, the, this is a car recovering because... It is a card that I guess you could say is the real, real, true first Bellator versus Ryzen um, card that that's going to be this year. And supposedly there will be more, but we got two fights that will showcase two Ryzen talents taking on two Bellator talents, including one for a championship. But the reason why we have T-Pon because he knows Bellator like nobody else. And, Teep, I want to ask you about this Bellator 222 show. Why should people tune in? What makes this a special show? And what, uh, what, just talk about, like, what is Bellator, what, like, what are they doing right now as a promotion that has, that they're doing better than everybody else? Wow. Okay, well, first off, thanks me, but I do follow it more closely than most, put it that way. So right now, the and structurally, they're st- they're beginning a series of localized circuits to feed the thing. So like instead of just feeder leagues, they're having their own feeder league, but sprinkling in choice fights, international fights, in with that. So Bellator. You know, Newcastle, Birmingham, this London, I guess. I think London's on the circuit, which is fucking nuts. It's a crazy card. But what they're doing, so according to Coker, by about 2021, they're going to do 50 shows a year, three circuits, Asia, a circuit in South America, and a circuit in, in Europe. And then they'll also run whatever, 22 of their own. So structurally, they're just growing right now. This DAZN money is blowing them up. And the wealth, the tournaments are sort of anchoring the, the DAZN approach, at least in the U.S., so Rory Gracie becoming the main event makes perfect sense. The bad guy, Chelsea, he got bumped. So now he's jerking the curtain for a title fight, which I think probably everyone's happy about, right? Um, I can't deny. I think that Chelsea is an immensely entertaining guy. I know he's a very divisive MMA personality, mm-hmm. um, and I understand why. But, uh, I mean, here's the thing. In terms of name value, he, uh, the, on this card, he probably does have the biggest name value, I would say, of the main event people, probably are out of all, all the fighters. But I also do understand that Bellator, you know, they're not on they're not on the Paramount Network anymore. Is uh, they totally with the zone now? 
wait a minute. Well, I this, don't know if they... Sorry, Christian, what was that? I think they have, like, their own little events on the zone, which is what Teep just mentioned, the zone exclusives, but I think they are still on the Paramount Network. I don't know. I'm trying to check right now because... Yeah, they're on Paramount. Huh? They're on Paramount, but they, they do seven cards a year exclusive to the zone. So this card and the welterweight tournament has been each of those cards. Ah, so like okay. when I went, so I went to Mohegan Sun for Bellator 216, that was a DAZN event. The night before at 215, you know, when Karatanov got kicked in the nuts by Mitrione, that was other stuff happened too, but you know, that yeah. was, that was on TV. So basically Paramount was an ad for I, the, I guess, show, the, the real show. I guess because this isn't a television show. I guess, I guess you can you can probably you can main event with with lesser known names. I'm not saying or, or names that are not as well known as the Chelsea Sonnen, because you don't really have to worry about TV ratings. Probably is what is probably my guess. You know, um, you can have Roy McDonald face off against Neiman Gracie, who I'm pretty sure you know. I pro the average MMA fan may not even know who. Demon Gracie is so, but, but of course, hardcores like us would probably know that he's a descendant of Helio and Hori. I mean, Helios and obviously the nephew of Hickson, the nephew of Henzo. And I think, no, wait, I think he's the son of Henzo and the nephew of Hoist. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't want to go through the entire the entire Gracie uh, family tree. We will get. We'll, <laughs> It'll be, we'll get lost. And it must be, also, let's not forget, there's actually another Gracie who's also on the car as well. So don't forget that as well. So we got, oh, we got right. the Hobson, who's actually Hoist's son. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, hey, hey, so guys, one one factor with the with the name, because it's, it's about, if they're talking about reaching out to casuals, Neiman is not the famous part of his name. But having Gracie, the Gracie last name in a, in a, in a title fight, that's just going to mean a lot. And Sonnen is famous, but Sonnen, the last name Sonnen is not as famous as the last name Gracie. So I think in this case, DeZone was probably like, dude, he's a Gracie. Stick him on the, you know? Where is he probably made office? a production decision. Like, we can promote the last name Gracie because if you look at Bellator, Gracie Shamrock did a huge rating for them. I think that was top three rating for them. But it's, it's yeah. the last name. They, but if you think about it, it that card was also... Could, that card was also... That, Anchored by Dada Five Thousand versus Kimbo Slice. But that was a television. That was also on television. So you had yep. to you had to put it on a Kimbo and and Dada Five Thousand were the main draw, I think, for that for that live television um, show uh, event. But like, it dropped off. It only dropped off uh, two hundred thousand off of the peak when the, for the for the title for, you know for the headliner fight, not title for Gracie Shamrock. So it was like. It was very close. It didn't like fall. It didn't drop off the way you'd expect if no one cared about the other one. But a few people got reached their drunk peak and, and turned out. Oh yeah. Was it? Um, was it, was I, it was a one-two punch, man. Yeah, I, but I think definitely beyond the zone that allows for them to maybe take a little bit more risks in who they get to put in the main event because you don't have to worry about television ratings. You just have to listen. It's a subscriber count that matters, and nobody's gonna unsubscribe because. Rory McDonald's taking on Neiman Gracie in the main event, so we don't have to worry about that. You know, if you have a television show, if the, if the main event is is Rory McDonald versus Neiman Gracie, but you know, Shell Sonnen is is third down from the card, 
you know, you could kind of make the assumption. I, I would probably guess that probably Chael Sonnen's fight would probably be the peak rating, uh, uh, for that, uh, for uh, on television. I can uh, Would you agree with that, uh, Teep? I'd say normally, but because it's a tournament and because Lima just went viral, fucking up MVP in oh, yeah. one of my favorite fights of recent history. But because of because of those factors, this is actually a bigger deal now than if say. Lima or MVP had won a points decision where they just kind of tippy-tap kickbox. You know, let's feel yeah. each other out for 25 minutes and leave everyone mad. They didn't. They banged it out. It was beautiful. So now, like, the question is, is it Rory or is it Neiman that gets to go fight for a million-dollar prize? There's a belt, too, but it's a million-dollar prize. That's a lot of pay um, in, in MMA terms. So let's talk, about, let's, let's talk a little bit about the Bellator that's the uh, uh, welterweight Grand Prix. Uh, first of all, I'm happy that Bellator seems to be going back to their old roots with the uh, tournament structure. When they did that with the heavyweight tournament last year, and uh, that finished also this year as well with um, Ryan Bader winning. So that was a, that was actually a fantastic tournament as well. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people were uh, very upset that uh, Fedor got knocked out by uh, by Mitrio. Oh, not Mitrio. Excuse me, Bader. Um, but. Um, uh, what it, so the grant the welterweight grand prix. So right now, Roy McDonald is a champion, and his his belt is also on the line. And when he is fighting in a uh, bracket, is that correct? Teep? Well, yeah, I can. I mean, I can speak for Teep on that. Yeah, the okay. Bellator title is on the line, regardless of if. I mean, let's just say if. Rory McDonald loses the belt, that whoever defeats him, that's going to be the person to defend that title throughout the tournament. It wasn't the case with John Fitch. It wasn't the case with basically, I don't know if it was Paul Day. I mean, obviously this was a semifinal. So, yeah, he defeated John Fitch. He's going to be facing off against Neyman Gracie in this second defense of his title in this tournament. But... It's obviously true. Whoever wins that belt is going to defend that title throughout that tournament. That that that, that John Fitch uh, case was a very interesting uh, outcome because it went to us. I think it was a split draw. So yep. But luckily, majority draw. Yeah, luckily by Sorry the skin. Sorry about it. Cut out, guys. Majority mm-hmm. draw. Yeah, but luckily okay. by the so, skin of his teeth, Roy retained. So yeah, by the fact that Roy retained, he got to advance. But if Roy yeah. was a champion, what would they have done in that case? Do you think would they have gone an extra round, or would it be like would a judge just have to pick a winner to, to move on? Yeah, Coco said they have they just have to pick. I don't think they had the extra round provision. Uh, I think I think Coco mentioned in an interview. I'll try and dig it at some point that they just have to choose somebody. Someone had to win. Hmm. What based on the most cumulative damage? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to find. I'll have to find it. I don't want to talk out my butt. You know, like. Uh, but I seem to remember. Him saying something about that, but with uh, because the title's online, someone someone's advancing the tournament. They drew, but the champion goes on. And then just, uh, like, just like a champion retains with a draw. You know? Neiman Gracie, Neiman Gracie advanced because he uh, he tapped out Ed, uh, Mark uh, Ed Roof. Ed Roof. Yeah, uh, that was crazy, dude. Which that is was crazy. Uh, not gonna lie, I picked Ed Roof to actually win that match, but uh, yeah. I thought he was I thought he was like maybe third favorite. Third seed, just based on his wrestling chops, but he got out wrestled. Gracie is legit, and he's not small either. Gracie's a big guy. 
same way champs fight all the time that's partly how they make the biggest fights mm-hmm. it's not just leaping up in weight we do the generic version people just go up in weight because they they can't get to another company's champs like the whole wilder joshua wilder ruiz talk we could forget it in mma like who's talking about bader fighting dc even though i think bader beats the shit out of the guys dc's been beating bader's fucking mean dude he won the he won a grand prix I don't think he even got punched. No, it was funny when people were thinking of fight, uh, fighters of the year of, for 2018. I was astounded. Nobody mentioned Ryan Bader, considering where he was at one point and where he just where he went to. And I know it's because he's in Bellator, it's not in UFC. But like even with that case, you think with the fighters that he beat and the ways that he beat them and what he achieved, becoming a double a two-weight class champion, you'd think that he could be fired of the year, but no. He wasn't even in any of the discussions of being fired of the year, which I thought was like, a, like I was flabbergasted by. Well, if you think about yeah, it, most of those stupid fighter of the year polls, they cut off after the, I mean, before the second to last week of the year, which was Christmas. So, obviously, Beta wouldn't have qualified. I think he would have qualified. He had, he had fights in uh, 2018 that he... Where he dumped. He got the, uh, I believe he got the white, the white heavyweight title that that year, and he uh, he started in the um, heavyweight tournament uh, in 2018. I, I I'm correct. Uh, yeah, he beat. Yeah, he uh, knocked out King Mo, and he uh, 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 beat up. Yeah, but so, still, uh, when it comes down to those, he might be obviously in the running for the 2019. Best fighter of the year, but 2018 it was cut off before Christmas. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, uh, I definitely want to talk about some of the fights on this card, and we all have our, you know, there's 17 fights on this card, and the way that Bellator structures their fights is so they have a bunch of fights on the prelims, mostly regional, local guys, some some well-known people. Uh, but most of the time, it, it, the records are, you know, two and one, three and oh, some are one and four, and then they, and they have the main card. And so, I, if I'm correct, is the main is the prelims available for free on Facebook as well as the Zone Teep? Man, I'm not sure because I stopped paying attention. To be honest, once I got the Zone last September, that's it. That was it for me. I watched everything there, but I think it might be on the Bellator app. Either so it's on the Bellator a... app, or they might as well stream on Facebook Live as well. I'm pretty sure DAZN streams the the DAZN exclusive events. I think they stream on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube and Facebook. So if you all have okay. the if you have the DAZN, 
you have, you can just see every fight uh, without having to worry about the Bellator app and all that stuff. So, if, so the zone is you just have it and you can watch all the fights there. Is that is that what you're saying? It's uh yeah, but not the European series. That that one you need the Bellator app. But it's free. Ah, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Hey, so. hey guys, my my phone is on no battery. I think I might have broken my cord. I'm gonna so if it cuts off, you know what happened. Okay. Um, and I'll call. I'll just call back. I gotta find my cord. That's all. Well, so what, what, what's I, we all picked? Uh, we we're all looking. We're not gonna talk about every fight in the card, but we all are gonna be paying attention to specific fights. I think there'll probably be a lot of crossover um, fights that we'll that we've all picked. Uh, that that we're gonna, we're gonna look at. Uh, so, uh, Teep, I'm just curious to know. Uh, starting with the prelims, uh, what fights are you fi- you are gonna be paying attention to on that uh, sh- on, on that portion? So, Pandeus, he uh, he had that Pandeus. last fight with. Yeah, yeah, he had the last fight with um, Arculetta. Is it Archuleta or Arculetta? Archie and I don't know. But he had, they had a, they had a fucking um, intense, really close fight, and he was coming off smashing Gallagher or Gallagher. So he's fighting ten and zero Patrick Mix, who I think trains out of Jackson's. But this is a badass dude. He's undefeated. This is the Bellator debut. But if he wins this, I mean, he's probably the title challenger at one thirty five for either guy, probably. Because I think um, Archuleta is going to go back up to featherweight for this Grand Prix they're going to do. The next, uh, the next Grand Prix, sixteen man million dollar Grand Prix, with all opening round fights on the on the first night, which is awesome. Oh, by the way, Archuleta is gonna be fighting Eduardo Dudu Dantas, and Bandejas, like you said, is fighting Patrick Mix. Right, so Dantas is coming up to featherweight for that. So, so um, is, are you talking about the, the featherweight tournament that uh that that uh Bellator has uh talked about Scott Coker specifically? Yeah, man. So right now, like, even though 135 is getting nice and juicy, some of those guys are going to, like, Dantas is coming up to featherweight because if he beats, you know, if he, if he wins his fight, then he's in that featherweight tournament. If he loses, maybe anyway, but but certainly if he wins, he's, now, you know, he's in that tournament. And The guy he's facing, Patrick Mix, is undefeated, yeah. 10-0. Uh, and, well, you know, 10-0 fighter. Taking on, yeah, I know that Vendez is a great fighter, but do you think he has what? What are, what are his chances? Do you think against a guy like uh, Patrick Mix, who's uh, undefeated? Well, he's a serious dude in a serious camp, but I don't know about Vendez's uh, loss earlier in his career. I think he was on like a four fight streak when he came to Bellator. But I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen the loss that he had earlier, but seeing his fight with Archuleta, that was just. That was awesome. That was close enough that a lot of people were doing what we were talking about earlier, bitching about the result. Yeah. Like it wasn't a close fight. So like just that, you know, and Home Slice is on like a 17-fight win streak now, so it's not like he lost to some guy who isn't a just a pure winner. So like, And in fact, that should have gotten Archuleta a title shot, but they're doing the rematch, and there's a featherweight tournament. He's like a multi-weight threat. He's one of the few guys who's proven across multiple weight classes so i did uh, i crazy. did talk to uh, darian caldwell he does think that the person that if he that if he uh he beats uh kyoji horiguchi in this uh match he thinks the next uh challenger should be the winner between dantes and um um sorry forgetting his opponent's name um archuleta 
Archuleta, yes. Archuleta, yeah. So, uh, if Archuleta does win, this might be his opportunity to get that title. And if, you know, Dantes, you know, get that rematch uh, for the title that he lost initially to do uh, Caldwell. So, you got two interesting matchups anyway if, uh, if whoever wins between Eduardo Dantes and, and uh, Juan Archuleta. Oh, it's beautiful. The texture that, that, that Coker and Sakakabara are, are weaving right now, because with the, the Lend-Lease program back and forth with fighters, that all the matchups, certain weights, they just explode. I can, let me just say right now, the, one of the fights I'm most pumped for, is I still hope for, is Julia Budd fighting Gabby Garcia, because what the fuck? That would be awesome. I don't <laughs> care what anyone says. That would be. I agree. That, I agree. Come on now. Come on now, that's 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 the most. And I, I tweeted Julia, but she's down for that fight. Gabby is down for that fight. I stepped in. I put, you know, I stepped in and I, I, I tweeted people. They answered. There was some momentum like on their parts because they know, they know that's a badass fucking fight that everyone will pay attention to. So I hope that happens. And uh, the challenger for Bud, I think it's Ruben, right? Big uh, yeah, old Ruben. Yeah, she's a serious young lady, so I'm not selling her short. And I don't know who's going to win that fight. She's got skills and heart. But the winner of that fight in Gabby, that would be if I could wave a magic wand. Other than making Fedor 20 years younger, that would be my number two choice. They said no Fedor, time travel, then uh, I would wave the wand. They would do that fight, do it for a belt. Open weight belt. Double dragon, rising open weight belt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think Bellator could have that match, or do you think that none of the commissions would ever allow that? No, the size difference. Gabby's going to hurt herself cutting to even light heavyweight. She uh, can't do it. She's a really ripped 230. She just needs to be 230. And they just need to let that happen, have it be open weight, and have their waivers signed. Well, do you think, well, do you think that any of the commissions, uh, maybe Texas, I think, could, would allow it, but... You know, do you think that Nevada or I know that New York would not allow it at all? But, I don't you know, think that the difference. Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation Combatant Sports Program would even want to sanction a fight like that. No, it's too it's too much weight. They just um they have a pounds a pounds limit. Even if you miss weight, you know, there's a certain, they have some guidelines. Everyone does. There's certain basic standards that that's why you see fights like this in Japan because they don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like fuck it, do it. You know, Crow Cop wants to fight. He wants to be 43 years old and fight 404 pounds of Baruto. <laughs> he, won, he won easily, too, which was beautiful. But, uh, you know, here people are like, oh, all this, all this size. It's been watered down because of, like, the boxing commissions they all had to deal with. Yes. Sport grew up. That's just what happened. So as a result of that, the, the proper clashes, the proper rule set exists in Japan in Ryzen. So one of the other matches as well that well that I think that we're all gonna be looking at, and I was actually surprised because it started off on the main card, then found its way in the prelim is Aaron Pico versus Adam Borix. That's such a good fight. That's such a good fight. Uh, I have to say, I don't know who's who's booking uh uh Aaron Pico's fights, but they must hate him because they've put him up against some pretty strong competition ever since uh, the 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 um. I'm trying to remember the, uh, the, fir- the, the the first big match that he won. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was against. Um, Higo? Higo, yes. When he, when he beat uh, Leandro Higo, that was like... Then they, they put up against uh, Henry Corrales, and now they're playing up against a 12-0 fighter who's finished almost all of his fights. Borax uh, is, is a monster. And I'm trying to remember, I think they might have been... He was booked to fight Gallagher. Gallagher. 
in one of their overseas cards, but he had to pull out for an injury. That was going to be one of the the most epic clashes. And Wayne Gallagher was still a featherweight. That would have been that would have been intense. And I think he would have beat him down too. James is good, but Borix is like I don't know. He's just he's a scary threat. I don't know if Pico's going to be able to win this. I, I'm excited to see it, but holy shit! What Talk do you about th- what, what do you think about how Aaron Pico has been with Bellator so far? Has he been the they, they, they want, listen, when Pico, he was a big sign for Bellator. I remember when he signed, a lot of news about that. Because, you know, he was one of the best uh, amateur wrestlers in the world. Uh, I know that he was scouted by UFC as well. Uh, probably other promotions as well were trying to get him. But he went to Bellator. And, you know, he had his first match, he lost. And I remember I was in the theater, I watched that, uh, that the the Bellator uh, MSG show, and he lost that uh, match. But then uh, he, he went down a late class, uh, and then started getting all these finishes, uh, just like just just starching everybody. Had the big that one against Higo, which you know that was a big uh, that was a, the biggest win of his career at the time. But then gets knocked out by Henry Corrales. Not to say that Pico could have almost defeated Corrales, though. That's the thing that people don't remember is that they just think that. That, that Pico just just opened his chin to Corrales and was like, "Oh, here, punch here!" But no, he almost had uh, he had Corrales rocked in that match. Just that yeah, he, he pushed it too hard. Yeah. Do you think that Pico he had to take his time? Do you think that Pico? What do you think of has Pico's? I guess Bellator time. Do you think it, it's 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 the? Do you think it's been worthwhile so far? Do you think that Bellator yeah. is, is 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 gaining? is gaining anything from having Aaron Pico on their roster as of now. Oh, yeah, big time. Big time. Because the thing is, he helps weave in, because it's not just fighters, it's storylines. And he's he's so epic and came so highly scouted in the industry. It, it's more than just does he win or does he lose? Because the guys he's been fighting, he's been putting on action fights, which makes him worth it on its own. He's fighting badasses. Borgs is a fucking killer. He's one of the... He's one of their top probably two or three prospects in featherweight. And that's a stacked featherweight division, you know. Like, their guys like Claxton there. Claxton's a monster. He's uh, five yeah. pro. He was 7-0 amateur. I was there at Penn State. One of the loudest things I ever heard in a fight was when that knee he landed at Penn State. The flying knee with his lead leg. It was absolutely intense. But uh, there's some killers coming up in that division. But Borix is one of them. He's absolutely one of them. He's he's a guy, you know. I put him in the top half of the field to win the tournament. But here's the thing: do you, is that is this a smart fight to book? Though it's an interesting fight to make, but is it a smart fight? Because it's an it's an epic fight. He's doing he's doing it Mark Hunt style, Jap, Japanese MMA style, where you don't give a fuck, or or the promoter doesn't give a fuck. You go in and you you fight. You see that sometimes back in the day where guys are having early fights in their career versus established legends in their prime. They just do it anyway, and Pico's that kind of mentality where he's going in to fight. He doesn't want to just beat up guys he can easily beat up. Whereas yeah. most fighters be like, hey, it's the same payday, I run through my contract, all this and this. He's like, I'm hungry. But that kind of mindset is why he went so far in wrestling. Why he skipped college to go wrestle internationally. He's a phenom. If you compare it to Ryzen, you know, Ryzen, whatever tension, not, they, with the exception of the Kyoji Horiguchi and Floyd Mayweather boxing matches, all of Tension's matches kickboxing matches in Ryzen, and even some of the MMA uh, matches that he had, uh, were all against people of very little skill. And so that obviously helped pad Tenshin's record, but also helped him become a 
an even bigger name to that audience. UFC, they try to do that with Sage Northcutt, and I think to a degree, Paige Van Sant. But Sage Northcutt, obviously, was a failed experiment. Um, and actually, yeah, say, now we yeah, know he's a failed, failed experiment internationally, too. Exactly. Also, they tried with Mickey Gall as well, having him the CM Punk fight and having the Sage Northcutt fight, but then Mickey Gall gets put up against um, Brandy Brown. Randy Brown just fucks him up for three for three rounds, and now I feel like nobody talks about Mickey Gall anymore as a top guy. Well, Jimmy that and in addition to the Brian Bam Bam Barbarina loss, too. Oh, yes, that too as well. Well, that was, so, the, that was the fight that derailed him. Barbarina, I think, I can't remember specifically, but I think he won like seven of his previous eight. He's a legit fucking guy, trains at Bendos, you know, the MMA lab. He's a serious dude from a serious camp, and they're putting a guy coming up in weight versus him like, that's not something you do until you're already a, an epic person. And Sage is young, uh, training in fucking booties and shit. Like, come on now. Like, he, he wasn't ready for that fight. You know, so you saw the quick tap, and then he's like, oh, I had a cold or whatever. But, you know, like, there are levels. Then he goes to he goes to one championship, and he goes in against a legit fucking guy who has his specialty but only better and more proven in a ring outside of his, what he's used to. And he got fucked up. I wasn't surprised. Anyone who thought Sage was a favorite... They're just they're just judging on on a Barbie contest. That's he yeah. was gonna lose that fight unless I mean, he pulled some shots. Aaron Pico's record right now is four and two, and he he's really risking it becoming four and three. And yeah. how, do you think that if he loses this fight, will this hurt him at all in terms of a name and potential drawing value and future person to, that Bellator depends on uh, as a as a name fighter? Yeah, I mean, every fight loses someone some steam, but in his case, you know, I mean, they know the social media numbers, so it's, you know, he's a highlight reel, win or lose, that's worth a lot. And because of the pedigree and everything, and him being so young, he's just, it's just that he's going the, the, the path less walked. Like Hunt, uh, Bibiano Fernandez, he did that shit, he fought prime kid and prime Faber within three fights. Like, what the fuck are you doing? He lost them both, too, but of course, you're gonna. He was fighting prime legends when he was a, a noob. Yeah. So Pico, Pico's not quite on that level. And and Hunt, shit, he he fought. You know, he had he'd fought Krokop and and Vanderlei within four fights, won that shit. Yeah. So like, so like, you know, but he also he came from he's enormous and he came from a striking back. A little different. But I think with Pico, yeah, everything hurts when you lose. But he's a bit of an ex- uh, exception. Now, what about this being put on the prelims? Uh, this went from the main card to the prelim. Do you think that this should this be a, a main a main card fight, or do you think it it's going to help boost those prelim, I guess, numbers by any chance? Yeah, it can't hurt the the prelims. But it's this this card is so stacked, and so like you know, you could say, oh, pluck Danis off of there, but the social media numbers, his his stupid tweets, his shower thoughts get more likes than pretty much anyone I see. Even, like, Coker's big announcements don't get as many likes as Dan is saying something like, oh, look at my dick, you know, <laughs> or posting something in a stupid hat or retweeting something. I mean, so that's why he's on the main card, because he's he's a draw. But other than that, it's just so stacked. You know, so you could count him in with the stacked, because he's famous, but it's so stacked that you're not going to put Sauna and pay him that kind of money to be on the prelims. Yeah, of course. He goes, he goes coming off a loss. Borix is coming off, t- you know, 12 wins in a row. Mix is undefeated. Bandeas, it's coming off a loss, but it was a loss where a lot of people are arguing he won. He was that good. 
against one of the top, not only bantamweights, but featherweights in Bellator. Arculetta, I had him like number four when he moved down. Number four featherweight when he moved down to... That's why I thought he should have got the title shot. They did the rematch. You know, it worked out in the end. But he's he's a serious dude. Archuleta is one of those guys to look out for. Maybe fourth like fourth most likely to win that tournament. Uh, Christian, do you have any other, any fights in the prelims that you're looking forward to? I'm, I'm guessing you're probably looking for that Pico Boris fight. Well, uh, that... and the uh, Archuleta, excuse me, uh, Bandeas and Mix fight. What about any other fights on the prelims that you're looking forward to? I am looking forward to those two fights. I mean, because believe oh, Christian, me. Christian, did we lose you? No, wait a minute. Can you hear me? Oh, we may have lost Christian. Hold up, okay. shit. Let well, me go ahead and call back meantime, on because, you know, this shit's crazy. And I don't see why the fucking phone has to act like this. So, here we go. Five, four, three. We on the air? Are we on the air? No. Hey, you guys, can you hear me? We're just about to talk about the Reyna versus Lindsey Van Zandt fight. Yeah, well, the fights that I'm, I mean, the fights that I'm looking forward to the most from the prelims, aside from the Borks versus, aside from the Borks Pico and Bandejas versus Dantas fight, right? Mix. Oh. Vendejas Mix. Vendejas versus Mix Cal- fights. Yeah, that is an Archuleta. Yeah, of course. Dantas and Archuleta is on the main card. The first fight on the main card, by the way. Not that stupid that ass Dylan. Card. Not that stupid ass Dylan Dennis fight. <laughs> but the <laughs> fight. be fun, man. A lot of people cheering for him to lose. Yes, us too. But still. The fight that I'm looking forward to on the prelim, the fights that I'm looking forward to the most on the prelims are the women's fights, and the women's fights are, well, actually, yeah, the women's fights are Heather the Heat Hardy versus Taylor Turner, Taylor being the wife of a trainer in Knoxville, Tennessee. Obviously, we all know who the hell Heather the Heat Hardy is. She's a 22-0 boxer, but a 2-1 mixed martial artist. She's a world champion in boxing. But I think that hopefully Hardy will bounce back from the latest mishap she suffered in the cage against Christina the Warhorse Williams and knock out this broad. I mean, send her back to, I mean, basically send her back to fiending for her husband in the gym. No disrespect. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In the South, we do a hell of a lot of fiending. I mean, we do a hell of a lot of fiending, okay? But, I feel you, man. So, do you think this is a mismatch booking to just get Heather back in there? Um, kind of, sort of. I mean, the chick that she's facing, Taylor Turner, is one and I think actually no, she's like three and three overall. One and three when she started out, but one two straight prior to her, you know, returning to the combat sports realm. But I think it's gonna be a mismatch. I think that fight's gonna be a mismatch, and it'll show. But what I don't get out of the other two women's fights is why a fucking Hooters girl in Lauren Datch, who's going to be fighting Valerie Loreda, I'm getting that right, so I have to space out the words. I don't see why Lauren Datch, I mean Larkin Datch, is basically getting a lot of hype compared to Reina Kubota, obviously the shootboxing goddess who will be fighting... 
who will be fighting Lindsay Van Zant from Wapping, I mean, a native of Wapping, blah, fuck, a native of Wappinger Falls, New York, a place of which I'm sure Andrew Benjamin went to from time to time. Of course, yeah. But still, I don't see why, you know, Lauren Batch is basically getting a considerable amount of love, even though I know she fought as an amateur three times. No, wait, she fought a couple of times as an amateur while working as a damn Hooters girl. And she only basically got viral a few, I don't know, about a week or so ago when that jackass Barstool Robbie made an article about her. Is that where the story came from? That they, they dug it up? Oh, actually, they made a story. They done a story about her signing her Bellator contract in her Hooters uniform, at a Hooters location somewhere across this country. I, I think, oh, that them. That's funny. I, I think, Christian, you kind of just answered your own question. You know, I mean, here's the thing. Yes, it helps that it's at Hooters. helps that she's also pretty good looking. But, you know, when you hear, oh, Hooters girl signs a big MMA promotion, it's kind of, it's, it, 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 it creates a, there's a, there's, a, there's like that, that it's a weird, it's a, it creates a story behind it, like a, a feel-good story behind it. That you know, oh, this girl it was 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 had to had to work at Hooters for for five years while training at MMA at night, and then finally gets her big big break at Madison Square Garden uh, to fight for uh, Bellator. I think it creates a it creates a very feel good story. That's why. Uh, but also, you know, the fact that it was at Hooters, you know. Yeah, but do you think that Lauren Datch, you know, has the same hype level, the same level of personality as Reina Kubota, who has way much more of a damn combat sports resume with the shoot boxing fights and kickboxing fights in addition I've to her seen, being a star I've never in MMA? Her, never saw her fights. I have no idea. Um, if anything, I'm seeing more people talk about Valerie Loretta. On Twitter and on the social media, I have no, I have no idea where she came from, but I'll, I'll tell you. She, I know she I'll changed. The, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Steve, go ahead. Yeah, let me weigh in. So, yeah, Bellator two sixteen live Mohegan Sun, the second card of the doubleheader weekend. She kicked off the main card and she stole the whole fucking show. Punches and I think it was a liver kick and punches and then some hammer fists. She was crying. They had her crying. Everyone was oohing and on, and the, it was like an, an emotional moment. It took the fans like probably a good three minutes to get bored, huh. which is good for a live show, you know, because you can hardly in the nosebleeds you can hardly hear them anyway. But it was it was a prolonged feel good moment, one of the best all round moments. Uh, you know, and I'm looking up at the big screen and I see the the footage that play because I think they pretty much just show what they show on Paramount, mm-hmm. and, uh, or not Paramount, but on the on the broadcast, the DAZN stream, I guess it would be. And I was just like, this is magic, you know. But then at the same time, it was also a badass knockout. So, you know, and that, that card wasn't all action-packed. That was that had famous a famously bad fight on it that should have been a, a banger. So hmm. that's this this booking, the Hooters waitress is for freak show appeal. And, and if she wins, it's a good story. But this is about Lareda, you know, Taekwondo master. What do you say, master or mistress of Taekwondo? Mistress. Taekwondo master. Okay, but she's a badass chick. But they're not going to give her some person with a with a who's actively like wrestling and stuff like that you know they, they're giving her a soft matchup to just get her get her in she's being brought up this is the sausage factory 
yeah. this is how it's done. And then you have you have your backup plan. Like when uh, Zach Freeman took out Pico, and he was a lightweight regional contender. You know, that was his fight before. He lost a title fight in the regionals above Pico's weight. Pico moves up and loses to him. Well, he got to fight uh, Sadawad in Pennsylvania. Now he got fucked up, but he got to fight one of their better lightweight guys. Mm-hmm. They didn't just, like, throw him away. He, he was on the main card. And that was a great win for Watt, too. He fucked him up. Machine gun hands and shit. Mm-hmm. So, like, they, you know, they have a backup. So that's why they have a compelling story. That's why Jake Hager was fighting um, the guy from the meat worker, the meat plant. <laughs> because if he won, it would be an enormous feel-good story. And it was a feel-good story anyway. You know, he's got a regional fight coming up, but he's still talking with Bellator. He'll be back. Mm-hmm. All these things like weave into the story. A lot of it's about a storyline, but it's also knowing who the story is for and who's the backup. Mm-hmm. So like you know, Rena, they you know it's not they have any bad feeling against Rena, but they would love Lindsay to beat her as a Bellator fighter, you know, because you get yeah. some of that international shine. They would love to do that and throw her and, and you know build something around it. Yeah, but if you Same also with our, think they would about... love for Cal- mm-hmm. to kick his ass. Yeah, they would love for Cal to just beat the shit out of Gucci. Not because they don't like him or respect him, because that's that's the best thing. But sometimes plans don't go to fruition. Wasn't it Hoist's son, uh, the other Hobson, who had the horrible debut fight? Mm-hmm. One of the one of the Gracies came in and it was it was lackluster. You could see the grappling was there, but it was so hesitant on the feet. It was like, holy shit, dude, your stock just evaporated. Was he, was he the fighter that they like that they tried to like book three fights for, but like all of them got canceled due to like yes, some sort of? It was. Oh, that sucks. That's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you know that. You know, I I think we've answered. You know, but if you think about it, going back to Lindsey Van Zant, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but it's kind of my thing. (laughs) But still, going back to Lindsey Van Zant, she's also a three fight veteran for King of the Cage. Two of those three wins via TKO or KO. And also a one-fight veteran of Invicta, and obviously a one-fight veteran so far, Bellator. So, just imagine if Van Zant wins this upcoming fight against Raina Kubota, you know, spoiling her U.S. debut. She probably might get some popularity herself, and probably might want to take a few fights in Ryzen, if given well, the chance. So, I interviewed her, and apparently... Uh, before Samantha Jean Francois, uh, apparently she was in line to fight Reina. In Japan. Yep, in Japan. Before they got, they went with Samantha Jean Francois. And uh, with this fight, though, here's the thing about it, though, is that uh, she told me herself that she's a small strawweight, uh, Lindsay Van Sant. So I think uh, it's not strawweight. Um, Adam Waits. Uh, so she's going into this fight. Prob- she's going to. Reyna is going to probably be much more stronger and probably bigger than her. Also, I didn't realize this. I look at, at Van Zant's uh, thing right now. She is five foot two. Mm. Reyna is f- oh five three. Okay, I thought I thought Reyna was taller. Um, so you got two girls basically oh. fighting like high school chicks. <laughs> Kind of, but you know, here, here's the thing as well. I watched Van Zant's fights. All of her knockouts have been ground and pound. Uh, on the, where she's taken the person down and then she's not, she's finished them on the ground, either like in half guard or open guard or something like that. So, how do you, you know, here's the thing about Reina is that 
she yeah, like you said, T, and I think I agree with that. I think that 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 Bellator is banking on Van Sant to beat Reyna because it's it's their home. It, she's their home girl. This is her second fight of the promotion, and you can build around that. You can build around Van Sant beating a shoot boxing and kickboxing champion like Reyna. Uh, it also opens up her going over to Ryzen to because Bellator, to my knowledge, they're on the zone in Japan. They're on everywhere that I think they're in eight markets. And they're on. Well, they're, actually, that's, they're not. Bellator. Well, actually, yeah, Bellator is on the zone in Japan. Ryzen is not. Yeah, so it ties in. Right, but uh, yeah, that's actually a good point. They're on fight, aren't they? Or what? Fight, Fuji, but then Fuji, they're on fight. Giao, and Sky Perfect. Interesting. Yeah, we need a grand co-promotion from distributors. We need to so we can get some like so they can work that out. Well, regarding like a pick, who do you think that Lindsay Van Sant has just the bigger, the better chance of, of beating Reyna in a fight like this in a cage with unified rules, uh, with with elbows as well? Uh, I'm trying to think if Reyna's fights have had elbows. I know, uh, I think they, I think some some of them had, but yeah, well, who do you think would have the who do you think would you think that Van Zandt would have the uh, the advantage in in, a, in this match? Probably Absolutely. so. Absolutely, depending on their their application or their game plan and conditioning for the fight, but just in general, like Van Zandt, she was let me see, she was three and three as an amateur, five and one as a pro, so she has, you know, what eleven fights experience in a cage. Has Rina fought in a cage under MMA rules, nope. elbows and shit? Nope. Nope. Yes, Not that's a bad all. that's a bad night. Most people aren't King Mo where they can go over and slap the wrestling shoes on under Pride Rules and win a Grand Prix. You know, most people, when they jump outside their skill set, even greats like Krokop and Fedor, you know, they weren't the same. Because when Fedor went back to the ring, boom, boom, there's Fedor again. Same with Krokop, he went back to the ring, boom, everyone's getting fucked up. Even like Ali Akbari, who's now signing with the UFC, he's a fucking killer. Badass fighter, he's only lost Krokop, old Krokop. Mm-hmm. Beat his ass. Three fights in three fights in uh, 72 hours. All-time legendary shit he was doing, Krokop. At 43 years old. And four fights in the span of three months, considering that his last knockout was against a road FC guy. Right, that was, that was he did the body lock takedown, right? Uh, oh, yeah, right. Last submission victory is what I meant to say. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> Yeah, it was good. That was good because he was like, "Oh yeah, guess what? Boom! Now you're on the ground, stuck under me." That was cool, man. He was—he's a legend. He's—he's, he's, you know, he has a certain advantages in a fight, but he can do everything. One of the other fights that yeah, I was sure say one of the other fights, but actually one of the other fighters who I've actually been hearing a lot about recently is also fighting on the prelims. It's Mike Kimball. What can you tell he's us about awesome. Mike Kimball, uh, team? He's a highlight reel, win or lose. That's what you need to know about Mike Kimball. His last one, I think, I'm pretty sure he slammed the guy and then got submitted, but he fucking slammed the guy. Like, it was about to be a highlight, and then it was, and then it went the other way. But his other shit, I think he has, like, a slam and punches knockout in one of his other fights. Like, he's he's a serious dude. He's come, I think he's coming off a loss, but he's, he's one to always watch because you never know what the hell's going to happen. Very dynamic, big. Yeah, he's definitely, that's something that I don't know. What, who's his opponent? Uh, Mike uh, Sebastian Ruiz. Ruiz. Yeah, I don't know who that is. He's yeah. a two and two fighter out of Peru. Yeah, it might be like sort of a build up fight 
for him. But also, you know, if you know, it's it's the way Coker and um, Rich Chu and the guys they book. There's a backup plan. It doesn't just nothing cuts off. So if the other guy wins and they're planning a South American circuit in the next two years, boom. Hey, guess what? Here's a quality win over a highlight reel. You know who's on who's featured on the all time. You know, like the highlight reel that they that they like to do. You know, so it all builds into itself. Whoever wins, if if with booking done the right way, whoever wins, they win a little bit or a lot, but they always win. Mm-hmm. Something well, always builds, weaves a story. It's always interesting. Another set of fighters that I have my eyes on, and after we're done talking about these two, we're gonna go on to the main card. But Phil Haas, who previously fought on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, he's four and two. He'll be facing off against 6-3 and three Michael Wilcox. And Haim Ghazali, the supposed legend of Israeli MMA, 10-6 and six overall at, what, I think like in his mid-40s. He's going to be taking on 22-22 and 22 Brazilian Gustavo Wurlitzer, the showman. What can you tell me, Teep, about Haim, respect, I mean, about Haim and Phil Hawes, respectively? Uh, the latter, I can tell you nothing at all, and uh, I'm not sure. Is is Haim the one who trains the hoist? Was he the one they had in the Israel card where mm-hmm. Hoist yelled something and then he yeah. finished the fight? He yeah, trains well, I mean, out of the Hendo Gracie camp in Bat Yam, Israel. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the, a lot of that comes down to okay, it's production decisions. You put the guy on there because of the, the the audience. If he's popular in Israel, they're on TV there. They enough that they did a card there. They only have so many foreign countries they've done cards in so far so when they go someplace you know that they're they're keeping their eye on that they're cultivating that market and uh so yeah he's probably there to draw numbers in that region because he could because it's a draw and he's fighting a guy's experience but maybe not gonna crush him uh, but i don't know i mean i um here's, i don't have the information in front of me i'm on the move well, right here, now here's the thing here's what i can say about haim gozali gozali sorry um he has been fighting do you know what his first fight was his first fight was against Carlos Nutick in 1998. Holy shit. He's that, awesome. that Carlos Nutick. That, that, that Carlos Nutick. The I, motherfucking I, Ronin. Yes. Uh, who uh, first ever uh, pow- uh, guy to get power knocked out, as, as far as I remember, for uh, Rampage started doing it. But think about that. He's been fighting. He He's also the oldest fighter on this card, I believe. I think he's old. He's gotta be older than than Chael and Leona. He is forty six years old. He was born May the sixth of nineteen seventy three. He's insane. He's he probably there are fighters on this card that weren't even born when this guy was fighting. That is fucking insane. I cannot believe that. We have a chance. I mean, we have like, some of these guys. Like you know, I know that Roy was in wars, and people act like he's old. He's he's about thirty years old. I think he's a year older than Neiman. You know, he's like a young man. And he hasn't had as many fights as a lot of guys. People act like he's ancient because he was in such wars. But it's like, you know, different people have different level of resiliency physically, separate from their yeah. skills. So, exactly. but like, yeah, they're like young guys on this, on this card. Kimball, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure he's several years younger than that. I think he's in his early 20s, although I'm not positive. I just, I just can't believe that this guy, uh, listen, the age doesn't even really matter to me, is the fact that he, that he, was, been, he was fighting... When like I was in elementary school, I just cannot believe that. That is, <laughs> that is. It. He was fighting when I was in fucking kindergarten. When did he debut? Ni- New Year's Day, uh, nineteen ninety-eight. I am very old. 
And Carlos Newton was one and one when he fought him. So he fought he fought Carlos Newton literally like when Carlos Newton was just coming up. So like how insane is that? You're like the, your first fight, oh, it's in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, you're facing Carlos Newton, who's going to go on to become uh, 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 one of the most well-known names. It's just, I cannot believe that. That is, like, that just blows up. He's also fought Ronaldo uh, Jacare as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of the early jungle fight cards. Yeah, in 2000. Wow. Wow, this is... And, and, and most of the people he's fought are, are names I can't pronounce because they're, he, they're Hebrew names. But, yeah, I, I just can't believe that, like... Like, oh, like his like two of his most noble fights are with Newton and, and Jockery, and, and just like such. Don't a, forget the two losses he had to Ryan Couture and the bout he had with Jose Campos. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, you want to talk about the main card, the uh, meat of this uh, of this Bellator two twenty two show, Christian. Yeah, let's yeah, go, hey, real Pete. Quick, hey, real quick, guys. You don't have to make a definite thing, but if you had, if you were forced to lean one way or another on the following fights, you don't even have to explain. But who do you pick? Also, so Reno or Lindsay? Reno. Reno. Yeah, I'm going with Lindsay. Okay, Aaron Young, Aaron Pico, the phenom. Young Aaron Pico, four and two versus Adam Borix, twelve and zero, oh, the Hungarian nightmare. I don't know what his nickname is, but that that fits. I'm going with Adam the Kid Borix. Wow. I would have to pick Pico. Um, I know it's a long shot. He's probably even the underdog in this fight. Let me just see what Tapology people say. Uh, actually, no, he's the favorite. They picked him overwhelmingly to be the favorite, but I'm actually surprised about that. No, that's fame. That's got... fame. UFC fans have heard of him. That's all that is. And they got Ray right. as a favorite over Lindsey Van Zant. Sick. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably again. That's probably they've heard of Reina more than Lindsey Van Zandt. Here's the thing: like I, I you know, I, I would just have to believe that Pico has to be smart enough not to do the same shit that he did with the Corrales fight. Because if he leaves himself open while going while trying to knock knock out uh, Borix, he's gonna get knocked out himself. Damn uh, right. Yep. Now, what other fight you I want us to get a, a leading opinion it. on? Hold on a second. You got my get my prediction. I'm actually leaning Pico in this. Borix is amazing, but Pico, the hand speed, I think is going to pay off as long as he avoids flying shit. So it's Borix maybe one-third chance to win, the other two-thirds to Pico. You know, if Borix wins, I think it's a flying knee or some crazy-looking shit where he, catch Pico, where he catches Pico slipping his head offline right into a big knee. Otherwise, I think Pico gets it done with them hands. Hmm. All right, go for it. Who's next? Bandeas? 11-2, Bandeas coming off a close fight with a badass motherfucker who's on a 17-fight streak versus 10-0 Patrick Mix. He only knows how to win. He's out of Jackson's. trains at a high level. Who's going to win that, guys? I think Patrick Mix is going to make a name for himself. Just not for this fight. I'm going with Ricky Bandejas. I think I have to go with Bandejas as well. Uh, this will... I think, you know, I, not to take anything away from... Uh, all of Mix's King of the Cage wins, but this will probably be the toughest fight that he has, I think, probably. Uh, if he wins, then he'll, then we'll know that he's legit, but just based on, just based on experience, 
toughness, and how I know that as a fighter how they are, I have to go with Bandeas. Yeah, I got to lean Bandeas myself. I mean, his last fight, that was an amazing performance. He's fighting one of the top guys in the weight above him who just happens to be small enough to come down and compete and has is proven it at bantamweight. Yeah, that was badass. I think his stock should have risen even more from that fight than the Gallagher fight because Gallagher is experienced, but he's like a grappler who has some stand-up, whereas Archuleta is a badass, trains with badasses, who has everything. Total package guy already proven. So, yeah, I think uh, I think Bandeas kicks Patrick Mix right in the grill. Uh, maybe late in the fight, maybe the early in the third round, he shin kicks him right in the dome. That's my prediction. <laughs> I see. All right, so who's the main card start? Dantas and Ar- Archuleta? Yep. Eduardo Dudu Dantas versus Juan the Spaniard Archuleta. That's awesome. Dantas is actually younger than I thought. I looked at him, I think he's only about 30 years old. He's like, he's not, he's not like a late 30s fighter. He's just, he's fought a lot at a high level. I don't know, who'd you guys, who'd you guys think make, might take this one? Uh, well, I, I, have, I have one quick question about this. I know this is at featherweight. What, uh, yeah. did, uh, is uh, is uh, Dante's uh, going between bantamweight and featherweight, or is he because, or is he um going, or is, is he just now at featherweight? Because I never, you know, he was a fe- former featherweight, uh, not featherweight, bantamweight champion, lost to uh, Darren Caldwell. Right, and then uh, I, maybe um. Christian, maybe you can look him up on Tapology. Or on Wikipedia, see if he fought a featherweight before. I don't know if he's fought a featherweight, but he's coming up now. Archuleta is one of those guys who's proven a multiple weight, so he's just going back to featherweight. So I think the winner of this gets a good seating in the um, in the Grand Prix. Well, oh, yeah. you know, the funny thing is that Darren Caldwell also told me that whoever wins between Dantes and Archuleta, uh, maybe he didn't know it was at featherweight. Maybe he thought it was at bantamweight. But he said that the winner of that match, he would he would probably be the most likely challenger as well. But if this fight's at featherweight, wouldn't it make sense for a feather guy who was at featherweight to challenge for the belt at, at bantamweight, at least in my eyes? Well, so, I think the way they see it is Dantas is the ex-champ, and they give credit like any promotion. They give credit when the when there's a former champ from your own promotion. They might like sh- shortchange how much you fall with losses I got while the guys are rising because you know Archuleta should have been in that type. He should be the clear guy. Fighting Dance is cool. I mean, he beat Bandeas, who beat Gallagher, who they were Gallagher, who they were shoveling into a title picture. He would have challenged if he had won that fight. Bandeas highlight reeled him, went viral. So they so they they went to the B plan, which is also epic. So he fought Archuleta. It's it's Dante's has one of my favorite uh, submissions of all time. I think it was against Anthony Leon. Where he, Anthony alone, I forgot what, the exact uh, conditions, how it happened, but he jumped on his back to get a rear naked choke or something. Do you remember that, uh, Teep? I've seen the highlight, but I'm, I can't remember what happened in it. Um, but that's how that's how I discovered Dantes. Uh, Juan Archuleta, uh, a guy, uh, uh, is he with the, um, which, uh, which, do you know what team he's with by any chance? Is it the he MMA trains, lab? He trains with Dillashaw. Oh, oh, he's with Alpha Male? Or, no, not Alpha Male. Dillashaw left. Yeah, he left. Um, Whatever that, whatever that team is. Okay, I, I, I... I don't know if he has multiple teams, but I know that he posts, like, uh, training pictures with Dude. Gotcha. You know, people, I, I remember, it reminded me, because people were laughing, giving him shit when TJ popped. And then he was, because he was on social, he was on Twitter, like, basically, like, well, how about the teammate, your favorite fighters, you know, who have teammates who popped. 
So he kind of, like, you know, he's fighting back because people are just assuming. And I don't think it's fair to assume, you know. I've okay. trained around gyms. I've never had anyone mention steroids to me. I know I've been around some guys who have the unnatural proportion of bone mass to muscle mass, you know, but yeah. no one ever talked about it. I think, fighters or not fighters, no one ever talked about it. I think it. what's insane about Archuleta, I mean, he's 22 and 1, but of his, of his, he's been on a 17 fight win streak since 2015, has not lost in about four years. He's um, absolutely superb. I know that Dantes is a great fighter, but like, you like I I've seen I seen Dantes, you know, you know I mean obviously the Darren Caldwell fight, and I know a few other fights. I'm, I can't remember them off the top of my head. Where uh, it seems that like his biggest weakness seems to be wrestlers or people who are have a strong physical way to take you down. At least like in my smothering style. Exactly. Like someone who can stifle his, his movements. And especially going up a weight class. Um, yeah, I think he'll perform better cutting less weight because it's just not natural for these guys to cut weight. And, you know, if he's around 30 or whatever, 31, that's a good time to stop. You're, you're leaving your physical prime. Whatever your fight prime is, you're leaving your physical prime. Stop cutting gallons of water out of your body. That's bullshit. And lose the weight that way. You can do the best you can, but you're not. You're starving your body to lose weight. It's not healthy. So I think he'll perform better, but I think he's going to get his ass kicked. I do believe Archuleta is going to put a clinic on him, and it's not going to be close. I could be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of shit. But based on based on their recent performances, Dantas coming off a win at, I think, Bellator 215, Mohegan Sun. But it wasn't against, like, the highest level. So it's been a little while since he won at the highest level, and he's picked the wrong guy, I think, to... Not pick the wrong guy because it's a great fight, and if he wins, he's beautifully positioned. He's a contender at featherweight. He's mm -hmm. a, like a top four featherweight, beating beating one of their top guys, multi weight guys. It's pretty epic. I would I don't think yeah, I would have to go with Archuleta myself. I just don't see what Dantes can do to beat uh, Archuleta at all. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly yeah, I think I think we'll see him get Archuleta work to get underhooks. Mush him into the cage, and it's going to go downhill from there. And I'd, I'd like to be wrong, and they just swang and bang, but uh, I just think he's going to smother him, and he's really, really good at that, really experienced, and has forgotten how to lose. 17 fights in a row, he doesn't even know losing anymore. Mm -hmm. And as far as Dantas goes, this will be his debut at featherweight after mm -hmm. fighting for so long at bantamweight, so hopefully the move up in weight won't be a big challenge for him. Yeah, I think it's just the guy he's fighting. It's not that he's going to featherweight. Because Calvill went up to featherweight and won before he lost to Gucci. I think he fought uh, uh, Noad Lahat. I, I think, I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, it's not just going to weight, but it's the style and who you're going up against. And he's going up against a guy who is more of his size, but who is excellent at thwarting what he likes to do. So it's a tough night. Exactly. All right, well, let's keep it moving. Let's, what's what's next? The Cowboy Gucci fight? I know you're dying to talk about this, Christian. Yes. Oh, God. It's probably... No, wait a minute. Is is the next fight supposed to be Dennis versus Murphy or something? I have uh, Caldwell or Gucci next. Oh, okay, um, okay. Because I know that this is a rematch 
from Ryzen 14 back on New Year's Eve, where Horiguchi defeated Caldwell via third round guillotine choke to become the first Smash ever mm -hmm, to become the first ever Ryzen Bantamweight champion. That was butter too. He no warning, just slipped it, melted his body around him, snatched the neck. Caldwell was busy doing what he'd been doing, just getting punched a little bit in the head, real soft, struggling for position because he had no cage to kind of mush him into. Mm -hmm. You get to the edge of the ropes, it's like, okay, well, if you want to mush, you guys are going off the, you're going to go hit the concrete or padding or whatever they put down there. That's not good. So he couldn't, like, mush him with one arm and then beat the shit out of him with the other hand, which is, I think, what he's going to do in this fight. I'm not saying I want it to happen, but as I see the fight play out, I think Caldwell's going to mush him into the cage and beat the crap out of him with his free hand. Try yeah. to get a wrist ride or something. But if you think about it, this will be Horiguchi's first fight in the state since UFC Fight Night 99 against wow. Ali Bagautinov, if I'm not mistaken. Unless I'm wrong, it may be it may be the Fight Night card before that, UFC Fight Night 87 versus Neil Siri. But still, this is Horiguchi's first fight under... Basic unified rules since his UFC tenure came to a close. Do you think that'll probably be, you know, at a disadvantage for him? Yeah, big time. Uh, I, have a, I have a bigger question as well. So, will the outcome of this determine who really is the best bantamweight in the world? Yes. I think I think it goes like two-thirds of the way to proving it. Because you, you have Gucci, you have Caldwell. Gucci already beat him, but in his specialty rule set. Because Haraguchi in Pride Rules is three times as good as Haraguchi in... He, although he's epic in the cage, the things that, that, that change in Pride Rules is perfect for his karate style. Perf, absolutely picture-perfect for his style. But his also, skill set. I think I, people can't... I, I wish people would also ignore Caldwell during that match, and that Caldwell was winning all five rounds. I don't care what anybody says. He was winning all five rounds until Horiguchi won, uh, got that guillotine in. He was winning. I, 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 can we all agree on that, at least, that uh, Caldwell was winning and probably would have won? Well, he, he came closest to a finish with a near submission, but the rest of the fight, he was just getting punched, like rat-a-tat-tat -tat punched. So I had him fight time he got submitted, I had it very close, or maybe even Gucci winning, because he landed like 200 punches. They were soft, but he's still landing, and it's... holding a guy doesn't mean anything under pride rules. I got being you. there doesn't count for nothing. I had Caldwell winning uh, on my scorecards. Uh, in the end, and in the end, it didn't matter, though, because Horiguchi got the submission. But in this case, uh, is it gonna, it's going to be uh, five minutes, five rounds. Is that correct? They're doing it that way? I yeah, think? five, five it's, minutes. It's for the title, so yeah, five rounds. His so, first okay, five-minute five like, round like title fight since the Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson fight back in April, I mean, back on April, 24, April 25th, 2015, where he lost via one, where he basically lost via armbar at the very last second. Oh, and also for Horiguchi, this is his first time fighting in the United States since UFC 182 back on January 3rd, 2015. Uh, here's the crazy thing as well. They both have two losses as well. Only two losses. Yeah, so, that is crazy. I mean, if so, you think about it. Now, with this case as well, with this fight as well, if Caldwell wins, do you think we'll get a rubber match at some point? Hopefully I think so. If Caldwell, I think if Caldwell... Sorry, go ahead, Gary. 
I think hopefully so because of the fact that you know it would make it wouldn't make sense to have two fights. I mean, two fights evened up at one apiece, one getting the other and the other getting one. And obviously, it wouldn't make sense to have. It wouldn't make sense to have a rivalry if there's not a third match between the two after two fights have previously been completed. So I think that if Caldwell wins this fight against Horiguchi, breaking his 12-fight winning streak, by the way, it would basically account for a rubber match where both of the titles are on the line. Well, now, I understand. my understanding is that Horiguchi has said... If he does win, he will make regular appearances in America to defend the title. Is that correct? That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, now, we'll, if, if, if Horiguchi, if, if, if Caldwell does win, do you think a third match, they would just have to put uh, both belts on the line in some sort in some sort of capacity? Like on, on, the, on that supposed uh, Rise in Bellator versus Bellator show that they might do in Hawaii? <laughs> Shit, they better. I have a feeling they're not. I have a feeling they're not gonna commingle them that closely. Like they're gonna, you're gonna have to fight under their rule set to have their belts. Like if you think about how Bellator's regulated and in some ways self-regulated, but also like Mo- Mohegan Sun oversees when they're out of anyone's jurisdiction. They, you know, they may have to fight under that rule set to be recognized for that title. Okay. I don't yeah, know. but the Mohegan Sun's jurisdiction only really counts in Europe. If they go. Over the Pacific, they would probably have to fight under, like, the California State Athletic Commission's jurisdiction. Well, I think, I mean, like, the UFC, when they go overseas, they're their own. Like, I don't think there's, like, a rule. When there's no commission there, you don't actually have to have one. But Bellator started doing that. They brought in Mike uh, Mike Mazzulli after the flap over Kimbo, getting a slap on the wrist from Texas, and they booked him in London for just after it would have expired or whatnot. You know, he wouldn't have fought under any kind of suspension. It wasn't binding, but there was no commission there, so they brought them in for all their events. That's who does their out-of-competition testing. Missouri, through the through the Mohegan Sun Commission. So I would assume when they go overseas, if it's a Bellator show rather than a Rising show, then Missouri will be there. I don't know. I just so feel I have... like if, if, if they both have one-on-one, you got to do something where like, okay, you both both you guys are one-on-one. We gotta have the third one to sell the score. Winner take all. Yeah, that's, cool. that's that's my eyes. Yeah, do it in international waters in a in um in like a combination ring and cage, half and half. <laughs> ah. What about what, what about a uh, what about a ring that leads into a cage? Like a doors open. Like they have a ring, but like Caldwell like tackles uh or like uh, takes down like does like a uh, Matt Hughes. Uh, pick up, uh, wrestling, uh, pick up, and then, uh, uh, runs Horiguchi all the way into the cage portion and just slams him down. Like, you can, like, or, just switch. You know, they can do something like what M1 Global does with their rage, half ring, half cage. <laughs> yeah. I like that. A, a rage. They work, yeah, they, they, I'm sure they've got, like, the, the thing on that. They'd have to modify it somehow. What is the thing, what about the, uh, Hold on, what about the, uh, uh, what do they call it? The Tri-Cage, Donna 5000, his promotion. They got oh. a fucking, they fight in a triangle, dude. <laughs> yeah, that shit would obviously end quick because Donna 5000 made those specific, I mean, made those specific triangle cages just to prevent anybody from running. 
so that no matter what, the fight happens regardless. <laughs> I love it. Hey, real quick, shout out of respect to the Dada 5000. People make fun of him. That motherfucker almost fought to the death. Most people don't have that kind of heart. No yeah. pun intended. He almost fought to the death. That's some serious shit worth respecting. It doesn't matter how good or conditioned he was. His willpower was there. The body couldn't do it. That's all right, you know. So here's a, here's a quick thing I just want to bring up as well. Um, traveling is not, you know, when Gary Colo had to come to Japan, he had to travel for some time. You know, I'm sure that, that it was you know, stressful on his body for the weight cut as well. But here's the thing. Oraguchi trains in Florida with America top team. So that travel issue, I don't think that, you know, the, just the, uh, the wear and tear of travel is not going to be as big of an issue. Do you think that will also be a factor that poor Gucci, you know, instead of traveling all the way from Japan, uh, training in Japan, and then, you know, spending four or five days in America? you think that's gonna, that's got to have some sort of effect as well on Horiguchi on, on how he performs in this fight as well? Well, if he's time, living, just, uh, if he's living yeah. in Florida full-time, if he's living down in the Miami area to train in Coconut Creek for American Top Team, he should be used to how things go when it comes down to I, training. I, I know that American Top Team, uh, they do have, like, board and room for fighters that are staying, you know, that, that, that are staying in the area to train. And I know a lot of MMA uh, camps do that as well. Where they'll just, you know, you'll just set up a room board for where the fighter can stay. So, you know, they don't have to travel from, you know, that far to uh, to get their camp in. So probably Horiguchi, I have to guess, is probably doing that. Uh, has at least started it or has been doing it for a, a while since this fight uh, started. Right. Uh, Where are Cowboy Is he out of Alliance? I forget. Um, I think it's an alliance in California, I believe, right? I, I think, think Alliance think is, is probably in California or Nevada. No, it actually aligns so MMA is in months. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, where? Uh, no, he's he's a uh, the the Redlands. He's in the he trains in, in in Redlands, California, with the um um. Oh my God, I'm forgetting the. Uh, is that where Davis trains? Uh, Christian, do you happen to know if that's where Davis trains? He's, I think he's in Alliance and uh, Cruz. Isn't Cruz there when he was there? I think so. Yeah, I think Cowboy trains with with uh, Cruz. Mm-hmm. Pinnacle, like be- Pinnacle, that's where he trains, Caldwell. Um, uh, Pinnacle. Yeah, Pinnacle MMA in uh, Redlands, California. He's not at an Alliance anymore. I know he used to be, but yeah, I remember he changed. Um, probably, re- I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. I think it was. Um. Yeah, uh, he's with uh, Pinnacle now. Uh, but uh, regarding picks, this is a big question. Let's let's pick who will win this. And uh, Teep, who do you think wins in this second match between two of the best bandmates in the world? Well, I got I got to preface this saying I like both guys and I want them both to succeed. Someone's got to win. But separate, I love Haraguchi's story, and you know. I'm not even sure if I cheer, if I cheer Bellator versus Ryzen because Ryzen is that epic rule set. I want the guys to come over and do well in the cage. You know that was more the way my interest flowed. But uh, I think Cowboy has this. I think his size is going to show his wrestling with the cage wall there. Even though there are techniques you can use the cage to get up, 
you can there are way more advantages to being able to hold someone in place with the cage than in the ring ropes when there's a stalling provision and everything. You just you know, you don't have to posture up to strike in a unified rules. You know, like King Mo took Krokop down, was giving a little pitter patter, they got stood up because he wasn't posturing up. He wasn't fighting to advance or finish, so they were like, stand the fuck up and then he got himself knocked out. I think it was the next round he got knocked out, but he got kicked good in the belly. The side belly. But uh, yeah, I think Cowboy takes it. What about you, man? What do you think? I think no, that Kyoji's gonna Sorry. probably win this because even though it, even though this will be his first fight under not only the unified rules but in a cage since I mean in north of in the U.S. since January of 2015, I think it's gonna be a little fun to see Kyoji Horiguchi kick ass again and you know, take that title from Darian Caldwell, but it would be even cooler just to see a Japanese competitor hold two belts of two different organizations instead of two belts in two different weight divisions. Or, because to be honest, it would obviously put Ryzen on the map. It would obviously get Ryzen more airtime here in the States instead of just being on Fight TV. And it would basically get Bellator over in a way because, you know, you got a fighter from another promotion holding your belt and looking to defend both of those titles within the coming year, trying to gain some notoriety and put himself over in the process by gaining his skill set. So I think it's going to be interesting to see Horiguchi win that fight, but if Caldwell comes with a game plan and comes prepared, I wouldn't mind seeing a rubber match between the two as well, if Caldwell wins. But I'm picking Horiguchi. I would have to, you know, I have to echo what uh, Christian said. You know, and also I'm going to echo what you said, Teep, as well, that I like both fires. Both fires are, are great. They're, they're, they are strong contenders uh, for best bandweights. Uh, they are they're, they're the two best bandweights in the world. I don't know who else you know, the the one band weight that you could say is is a is not even on the rankings anymore, um, so we can't talk about him. So it's Darian Caldwell and Kyoji Horiguchi. So, but I just you know, just from what I feel like, I think Horiguchi, you can put Cejudo in there at this point. You can definitely put Cejudo in there. Oh yeah, uh, definitely Cejudo. I would like to see more fights of band weight though. Uh, rather than just you know the one fight that he had a band weight, but he's yeah I'll definitely put him in top five. But in terms of top three, it's got to be uh him, uh Koriguchi and Caldwell. And this I think definitely whoever's number one, number whoever wins this will definitely can be considered number one. Um, I would I would agree with that, especially if Gucci wins. Like if he's now two and zero, both rule sets. If yeah, it's huge. It's hard yeah, to even argue. I have to go with, with Gucci. I think he's going to. I think Darren Caldwell is going to try to do the same thing that he did in the first fight because um, I think hit, what he was trying to do will, will go over a lot more in this in unified rules. You know the takedowns, holding them, uh, you know smothering, trying to smother Horiguchi. Um, but I also know he's going to try to finish Horiguchi. You know. There'll be less space for him. There'll be less space for Horiguchi to get around. You know, if if, Hor- if you know if Caldwell gets a gets a, a solid punch in, he can knock out Horiguchi. 
he's a strong, he's a strong motherfucker, Caldwell. Uh, and there's just less space for him to move around. Oh uh, yeah, like I said, you know, you can't move around. Cage, you can only move around so far. Ring, there's so much space around, so you can put uh, distance between you and him. Uh, Horiguchi is not gonna have that as well. But regardless, I think that Horiguchi's experience in the cage will help as well. And training at American Top Team with Mike Brown and all those people. I think they're going to very, very well for this fight. Um, yeah, I will, those are excellent points. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying those are excellent points. And, and really, I kind of want Gucci to win. It's just, it's so perfect. You know, rising Grand Prix champ. He's the absolute king of pride rules for that weight. So coming over... It's a better story. I just think Cowboy has the stylistic advantage. That's I got you. No, it's totally understandable. Uh, and it's funny. The uh, right now on the uh, Tapology, they have Kyoji Horiguchi as the overwhelming favorite at seventy-seven percent uh, versus Caldwell at twenty-three percent. I would not put the, I would not put Caldwell under those uh, those small odds. Um, I I think that Caldwell. I think I think I think I don't think. I think he's going to be a lot more aggressive in this fight, though, as well. You know, he's definitely going to try to, he's going to try, he's going to go for those takedowns, but I think he's also going to try to finish if he gets a takedown, as opposed to, you know, Kai May just laying and praying, as they say. Um, well, he probably trained, he probably trains in a cage and has yeah. trained in a cage his whole career, so you can't just suddenly become a master of the ring any more than, say, Krokop could come into a cage and now be a master of the cage walls. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. Guys, a lot of guys specialize, but in a cage, think- he's ready. Yeah, that's why I think that Horiguchi, you know, ha- having that experience in the cage and being very successful in the cage, being one of the few Japanese guys to ever be successful in the UFC, uh, with only one loss, the uh, the Demetrius Johnson loss, you know, I don't think he's really going to have to change it up that much. Um, well, I mean, he'll have to change it up uh, to the degree of the cage and the rules, but he won't. It won't be a uh, 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 unknown territory for him. He won't be lost like a lot of Japanese fighters, how a lot of foreign fighters. Who have, you know, like you said, of Kro- like Krokop, when they come over to the cage, and it's kind of like that's a good point. Uh, and like, he's young. He's not. He's not like some dude who's past his prime. He's in his absolute prime. Yeah. Coming over, he's not. He's not like, you know, like Big Nog, who I who I've got as the number two all-time heavyweight. But he hit Mir was like, or Herring, whoever he fought first in UFC, that was like his thirty-seventh fight. Yeah. However yeah. skilled you are, your body gets broken. He, he went. As, he was in real wars. It just is, it, it, yeah, another the same thing. Darren Caldwell has a total of fourteen fights. Kyoji Koriguchi is going to have uh, is, has twenty nine. So they're going to have fifteen and uh, fifteen fights with Caldwell and thirty fights with Horiguchi. This will be Horiguchi's thirtieth fights uh, coming up. Right. So he's not someone who's unexperienced in a cage. He knows that shit too. It's just I felt like stylistically the ring was perfect for what he does. Yeah, but he's yeah. a badass in the cage too. He's just less proven in the cage. If you look at the records of his cage opponents, it's not the same as some of these other guys that he was able to beat. Yeah, even course. if they don't get credit. Yeah. Um. Now with this next fight, I don't want to spend any more than three minutes on it. <laughs> Do it. You know what? Go for it. Here's my analysis. Fuck Dylan Dennis. I'm gonna go with Max Humphrey on this one. <laughs> For obvious reasons, but I don't want to explain them all. Okay, so like we've got Dylan Dennis. He's 1-0. He fought at 175-pound catch weight, which is something Coker does. You know, if you're not ready to be at a certain weight or not sure, he'll book a fight there. He doesn't give a fuck. And um, Dennis is 1-0, leg lock. He got lit up a little bit in the standing, which was hilarious. He's fighting Max Humphrey, who's 4-6 and as an amateur, 3-2 at a pro, at pro. 
And um, Dennis, obviously, we know what he's going to do. He's not going to try and cemetery kick him. He's going to try and get him down and grapple him. But I don't know enough about Humphrey to make a prediction, but I do know that a lot of people would love to see Dennis lose, and it would be pretty funny either way. Well, here's the thing. Uh, two of uh, Humphrey's wins as a pro are by submission, rear naked choke, and Americana in the first round. You know, how crazy would it be if if, if, if Max Humphrey comes around and submits Dylan Dennis? I know it will not happen, but that would be fucking great. Imagine just the highlight Twitter uh, universe. Just like, it would be like, oof, they, it, they would be the insanity that Dylan Dennis is this jujitsu champion, ADCC, Worlds, IBJFF, I think as well, you know, comes around and then gets submitted by a three and two fighter who looks like he looks he looks like uh, the pro wrestler Nick Gage if Nick Gage had a beard. Uh, you probably get that reference, Christian. I don't know if you get that yes, reference, but uh, I do I get see, that I'm, reference. I'm too far out of the game. I stopped watching wrestling. I think before Sting changed his makeup to black and white. Like I'm fucking old in wrestling. Like I know nothing. I understand. I didn't that. know about Hager. People are like Jack Swagger. I'm like. Who the fuck is that guy? I've never heard his name in my life, but apparently he was well known. Yeah. You know? But uh, I hope that uh, I can say I hope Max Humphrey wins. Unfortunately, not everything can have a happy ending. Probably Daniel and Dennis will win this, but I have to go with Max Humphrey just for the hope, uh, hopes and prayers <laughs> that that uh, Dylan Dennis gets shut down because uh, legitimately. I don't think there's any more. Uh, and here's the thing: I think he does it on purpose. I think he recognizes. It. I, I, I don't think anybody can be as obnoxious as Dylan Dennis is when it comes to being a personality. Chell Stone and we know it's a gimmick. But I think that there's people out there who actually believe what Dylan Dennis like the shit that he like spews uh, and types out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. He just you know on social media, his interviews are a little. Are a little better. Like I've enjoyed some of his interviews. He's a lot more grounded. It's almost like uh, what's the like the way he presents himself. Like that when they interviewed him on, on the Ruiz uh, Joshua fight, he just comes across. It's a way that he just presents. You know, just some people just it, it may not even be his fault. They're just people who just, who just come across with that personality, like a gritty personality, and for some reason he has it. You know, it's I mean it's a great. You know, he can he can he use that to make money as a, as an MMA fighter. But, you know, it's just, it's funny that, like, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I just, you know, there's just something about him that's just, like, inherently un- unlikable. And he has that, that Josh Koscheck. Um, yeah, he's got that Koscheck vibe where you, you know he's got skills in a certain area, but you just hope that whoever he's fighting knocks him out. You know, like, just because they, they, set, they set you up for that emotionally, they'll be setting you up, and then, so, like, of course... Like, it happened with uh, Gallo, who's a great fighter and experienced an amateur and pro, was undefeated, beat uh, Lyoto's brother, you know, beat Chenzo, took him out, outstruck, and outgrappled him. But people just dying to see him lose. They want to celebrate. MVP, you know, the best thing that ever happened to Douglas Lima was knock out MVP like that because so many people were charged and primed to see a loss. And then it was a highlight reel. Forget about it. I think uh, Cejudo had the same thing as well up until about probably yesterday because people because the way as Cejudo uh, you know uh, you know every every time yeah. he has to, he's in an interview you know it's, it's a it's a noun an adjective a verb and then a gold medal is usually how he talks I think that people were just really pissed off that like we get it you won a gold medal great for you um, it's it's like a running joke that's run its course 
you know, it's like, please take my wife or something. Like a comedian <laughs> who can't stop saying it years after it's burned its course and it's just not funny anymore. And then it's it goes on so long, it's no longer ironic. It's just annoying. You're like, shut up. Come on, you're still telling the joke that's not getting any laughs. Don't don't do it. But you know, he's who knows what his life is like. He's you know he's a high level athlete. Those guys are pretty crazy to, to get that far. So he's just doing his thing. But I just try to ignore it. It's, it bothers the shit out of me. So I'm just like, do your thing. Good luck in your fights. I want to see him fight the winner of Gucci and Calvo. That's <laughs> the real title. That I'm is the real title fight, like in boxing. You want the champions to fight the other sitting champions to see who is the champion among the champs. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's how they fucking do it. And like uh, Canelo, if Andrade wins his next fight, he wants to fight Canelo, champ, 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 champ. All the belts, <laughs> you know, get all the belts. Ruiz and Wilder, or or Ruiz and Joshua winner fighting Wilder, champ, all the champs. So you'd be like, you don't have to speculate at that point. But in MMA, the the marketing muscle is with one company, so they're like, they're not that level. And then when fighters do go over from a high level in UFC and lose, they're like, they're no longer that level. You know, it's, it never changes. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, we don't get champ champ. Fucking champ champ. So, I want to see that. Say, Udo's a badass dude. I don't know if he can beat Gucci or Cowboy. I want to see him fight the winner of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got... Well, yeah, when we it comes down to coach, yeah. the Dylan Dennis-Max Humphrey fight, Dylan Dennis... Yeah, let's is... leave that alone. Yeah, Dylan Dennis is basically getting voted on by the Topology fan base by an overwhelming 92%. However, if Dylan Dennis loses this fight, there's going to probably be memes aplenty. And and those 92% are probably going to be the main one posting that shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is, this is waiting to happen. Like, it didn't happen so much with MVP because he actually showed a lot of respect to Lima. He gave him all his credit. He didn't shit talk him at all. It wasn't like Daily. You know, with Daly, he brought a fucking box of tampons to the presser, oh, which is a surreal. Ex- you know, you got Coker sitting there, and you've got Daly and MVP, but they—they're—he's got tampons on his on blue box of tampons in front of him. So it's like, but then with Lima, he said he's one of the best in the world. If I'm going to lose to anyone, it's to him. You know, so they didn't get the memes. The memesters didn't get their shit. But with this fight, anything, anytime Dennis loses, is going to be huge. It's going to be a, it's going to be. I like a discount version of when Connor got tapped by Nate. Like a discount version. <laughs> yes, budget, no budget, shit. You know, like Dollar General, Nate Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guys, uh, but I'm let's the guy go ahead. Onto uh, on, on the real champ. Yeah, let's go the, ahead and go to fight. the next fight. Let's go ahead and go. The real champ. So, I'll do it. Chael P. Sonnen. 30, 16, and 1. He's a million years old. No, he's in his early 40s. He's fighting Leoto Machida, who is on a win streak, and 25 and 8. And he's also in his 40s. He's the old school guys. Okay, shoot. Go ahead, Gary. How are these guys holding up in, in their advanced years? They are two of the three oldest fighters on this card. Obviously, all four of them are in their 40s. But I think this is going to be a fun fight for casual fans because you know obviously Chell brings the entertainment factor he brings the personality I mean he even brings the as former WWE wrestler Ken Anderson once said the ass holiness when it comes down to you know trying to get his point across especially on his podcast you're welcome (laughs) but He's, As, he's so talented. He's he's the only guy in MMA who can argue both sides of a point. Yes. And people will take away. He's like one of those psychology things, like where they 
where psychologists write a horoscope that applies to everybody. And so whoever reads it, they'll be like, wow, that was spot on. Because it just, mm -hmm. he's that good. He's the politician MMA. He can he can work for Bellator and pump UFC exactly. pay-per-view. You know what I mean? He's that guy. Like exactly. him or not, he's that guy. He's he's the fucking Gandalf meddling, you know, building shit in the background. He's, he's just epic. Uh, if you ever watch his mm -hmm. YouTube video, but, it does it analysis. Mm -hmm. He's right like about 80 to 90% of the time. He knows his shit. Mm-hmm. But when it comes he down one, to, said, mm -hmm. but when it comes down to Leonardo Machida, the dragon, the dude's a legend. The dude's a former UFC light heavyweight champion of the world who knows how to finish guys. I mean, this dude obviously he started in New Japan Pro Wrestling under Ultimate Crush rules, but this dude has evolved into probably one of the greatest MMA fighters to come out of Brazil and. I don't know if yeah, Chael Sonnen is ready to face somebody as dangerous as that. So I'm going to pick yeah, Leota Machida to kicks. win this. So I'm going to pick Leota Machida to win this fight. For obvious reasons. Interesting. He's good against wrestlers too, so it's stylistically it doesn't disfavor him. He's not someone who gets wrestle-fucked. That's his whole thing. Is that He doesn't get wrestle-fucked very easily at all. I'm curious to know, will, they, will these two ever peg the fight in UFC? Because I know there's a UFC... They, they're probably, you know, well, I know that Machida was at 205 his entire UFC career, but Chael Sonnen, you know, made a few appearances at 205. Chael said one day, Chael said in a, in a video that it was for one day. He got a call in the middle of the day, and he was talking to his camp, and then the next morning Dana called him like, what are you talking about? Why would have you two guys? And he was like, okay. So I guess they, they maybe Lorenzo made to, to book the fight, and then it got you know, they decided not to. They never, they never had a build-up. Curious to know as well, wasn't didn't uh, Chael Sonnen get the John Jones title fight based on Leo Machida pulling out? Of yes, being, of the probably. Match? Probably. I'm trying to remember. No, I thought it was, uh, wasn't it Hendo? The, who pulled out? So I thought, remember Leo Machida, he, he turned down the John Jones fight literally the week of, and I think they had to cancel the pay-per-view. I don't know why I had it in my head. It was Hendo. It was someone that, I guess I'd seen a post. Someone said they trained with Chael, the person who did it, and then held out on announcing they couldn't make the fight. But maybe I'm thinking of a different fight. I must uh, I must say, though, you know, I you know, I like both guys for different reasons. Mishida was always one of my, he was always, you know, he was always the, the guy, you know, before, like, Flash, you know, like, Anthony Pettis was doing flashy shit. And uh, now Mikel, uh, what, uh, the, who's a guy from Brazil um, who just signed up to UFC, Christian, who was with UFC. Mikael Pahelia. Demolador. Yeah, who's doing, doing the flashy shit as well. Leo Machida was really the guy who did like the flashy kicks, the flashy uh, flashy knockouts, uh, also getting flash knockouts as well uh, by uh, Shogun Rua. Uh, two, oh, I think those were two of the best... Uh, series of fights uh, of all time, the Shogun and Mishida fights. Um, I mean... Speaking of Mishida? Mishida's not impressed me so far in Bellator. And his last UFC fights were, you know, you get knocked out by Derek Brunson. That's not... I mean...
Anderson, he, that was a split decision, and then, the, uh, and then he had the... Uh, Anderson Silva, uh, front kick uh, to Vitor that he did. That, uh, yeah, he highlight reeled uh, yeah. Vitor. Uh, well, let's be honest, Vitor is way behind the times, unfortunately. So, if you want to count the UFC win, I'm fine with that. But also, he went one against, he won against Rafael Carvalho. Split decision in Bellator in his debut. Yeah, it was a tough fight. He wrestled to win. He was getting, he was, he was doing okay on the stand-up, but he was getting the worst of it overall. Because Carvel is like six four, young. He's like you know twenty nine or thirty years old. He'd won fifteen in a row before he lost to uh, Musasi. So he's like a, a big, powerful striker, and she uh, got it done, but it was close. And if he had been forced to stand more, it would have. He got fucked up. He managed to wrestle his win. So like, have- he can wrestle, he can counter wrestle. So he he had the wrestling advantage over. Carvalho, but he doesn't have one over Son, and he's going to want to prop and pound him. We'd have to just go with uh, Chael Sonnen. I think that Chael Sonnen is right now maybe a better fighter. This then, If this were five, six, seven, eight years ago, I'd pick Mishida. But I think now, I think... I think that people underrate Chael a lot. especially when he, Listen, he lost against Fedor. Obviously, but he beat Quinton Jackson. He beat Silva. Um, if you uh, he beat, uh, if you want to take his word for it, he beat Tito Ortiz in, Bell- in his Bellator debut. But um, the thing is, he's a smart, he's a smart fighter, and he has a very tenacious approach to fighting that, that pays dividends. He's he's, you know, he's not like always technically. He's technically sound wrestling wise, and maybe MMA striking leads to wrestling. But he's not like someone you'd want to like put in a textbook of striking. But he can compete. You don't just... I didn't think he was going to be Rampage. He shot the shit out of me beating Rampage. Silva, I was hoping for Silva to win. I just liked his end of the, the argument. You know, all that xenophobia that Chael was spitting his way up. I wanted to see him knocked out. But uh, I wanted him to beat Rampage. I just didn't think he would because I wanted him to fight Fedor. That was my whole interest in the Grand Prix. And here's the other thing as well. While people don't, don't forget this, Chael Stone also is a very good submission fighter. He tapped out Brian Stan. He uh, he's he has actually gotten more a lot of uh, submission wins, and, and that you think for a guy who's points. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's an underrated submission guy. Um, and here's the. I think maybe ready to fight. He's always he comes in there with a game plan. Does it always work out? No, doesn't. That you got to see the, the greatest fists of all time punch the loudest mouth. <laughs> when he when when those when that uh, punch connected with Fedor, I mean with uh, with uh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, he's got that. He's got those Marciano hands where he, he comes up from odd angles and you whatever he lands on. I have to go up the He missed the hook. The, I mean, the overhand that followed that uppercut. Yeah. If he'd hit that overhand, he might have died. It's possible. Yeah. He, he was going down hard, but just like with Arlovsky, he went down so fast from, from the power that he didn't eat the follow-up punch. Because imagine if Arlovsky had eaten that hook that they through after that giant overhand. Um, the mean street. I think he calls out Ryan after he beats, uh, after he beats, uh... Well, it was, that'll be for heavyweight, I'm guessing, so... continents, but really he's a big kickboxer from France. Yeah, essentially so, yeah. 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 And he's old too. Congo's like forty two, but he's on the he hasn't lost since uh King Mo beat him seven or eight fights ago. I, I can't remember if he's on the seven or eight fight. Yeah, you know, Machida, he's 
he doesn't look his age. He looks like he's he's still limber and he's still got his reflexes, maybe a little less than his prime, but he's still very dangerous. And he's a good stylistic matchup against wrestlers like Sonnen, who are like shooting doubles and shit. You know, that's a good way to run into a shin kick. And Machida's precise enough that you might not make it out of that. You might not be able to go through his blows to then secure the takedown. So it's tough, but I'm leaning very slightly to Sonnen. I just think... You know he's been fighting bigger guys. He's gonna he's gonna feel the the difference of fighting a smaller guy, even though he's faster. Well, but is Machida well, faster than Fedor? Is Machida really faster than Fedor? His no, kicks, maybe, but not his hands. I don't think. Here's the thing, Machida. I think he's gotten slower over the years. I think he he's a lot more telegraphed now. He's he's not as he's not as nimble. He's not as he doesn't seem to be uh, as as flowy and 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 just ha- and just has the that that quickness that he used to have. It's it's, yeah, it's not quite the same twitch. You're right. Yeah, I gotta lean Sonnen. I think he gets it done. He's just uh, he's really preserved and he's a, he is a cerebral fighter. His shtick isn't cerebral, but he is a thinking fighter. And I think he's just he's gonna he's gonna find a way. He's gonna find a way to apply the pressure and get the things done. But stylistically, it's not good for Sonnen because Machida is difficult for those guys. You know, he fucked up a lot of wrestlers. Fuck up Ryan Bader. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So so we got our so we got our things. Let's get on to the main event, the real fight, the the. Ah uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and get on to the main event. Indeed, Rory the Red King McDonald, who survived off the end of his. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get to the main event. Indeed. Roy the Red King McDonald, who survived on the skin of his teeth over John Fitch, despite the fact that the fight ended in a draw, against Naaman Gracie, the 9-0 representative of the Gracie family dynasty, who could be the first Gracie to win a world title, believe it or not. So Yeah, I mean, this is a, this a crazy fight. Who's going to win? Well, Rory, it's it's hard because Fitch is so good. If he can get through the barrage of strikes that people throw at him, he's so good at holding the guy down. And Rory, just I don't think he'd ever felt that before. Like that's, you know, like Fitch was considered top ten in the UFC when he when they released him. He was never like he didn't like lose his way out of the top ten and get cut. You know, he's he stayed at a high level and he was it was a good style matchup for him. He was able to survive the stand up, which was ugly, and then. And get implement his game plan. I don't know if Gracie's the same level, but Gracie is very dynamic with the grappling. I'm favoring Rory though. I think uh, I think he's going to get it done. I think his stand up and defensive wrestling is going to be good in this one. He wasn't like he wasn't keeping the center of the cage versus Fitch as a priority. That should have been number one priority. Stay in the center of the cage, and he didn't do that. He was circling out and toward the cage sometimes at an angle. And he paid the price. You let Fitch shove you into a cage, you're going down. That's it. I have a Unless question. So, so, what did what did Roy McDonald recently say in an interview? That he said that he's that he's not really focused on fighting anymore, or that he's a Christian now. What did he, he said that something really strange in an interview just recently about his fight mentality or something, right? Uh, Teep? Yeah, yeah. He got saved. He got saved a while ago, but he um after the fight, you know, in the in cage interview, it was kind of surreal. You know, he was saying he didn't know if he had the willpower to hurt people anymore. So he was being very emotional because he just got bitched. 
that's a fucked up experience, you know, because you're not, it's like Daly was screaming at the camera, making fun of Bellator on live TV, international TV. Yeah. Because he was getting Fitch. It's that frustrating because Fitch doesn't throw to finish, but that doesn't mean you can get him off of you. He can, he's so good at that, that, that his specialty. If he can put you in that realm, it's a fucked up night, even if ever, you're right king. Ever since that, the Lima fights, I feel like Roy McDonald has fought very, very, um, I don't want to say safe. Because that's the wrong word to use. But I feel that he's fought. He is not the Roy McDonald that fought Carlos Khan did back in UFC or Robbie Lawler or uh, just like he he is not the same guy. This is not the same fighter at all. And I will that is an argument. I, that is a hill I will die on. Ever since that Lima fight, which he won by the way, but he came out of that fight very fucked up for him. Then, uh, oh yeah, I mean he got the, he, he got the meat ripped off his shin bone. Exactly, That's... looked like a fucking uh, the, uh, xenomorph coming out of the uh, out of the uh, stomach. Uh, in this case, his knee. Then he had the the Musashi fight, which people are like, "Oh, Roy McDonald can beat the shit out of Musashi." I'm like, "What fucking planet are you on?" That Musashi what? No. The only way that happens if Musashi allowed it to happen. <laughs> yeah, the part of the thing was you. It's not just how big people are because Roy was giving up like twelve pounds. But it's the size at which people are competitive. That's why, you know, like people made fun of when uh, Dan Henderson gave up like 12 or 16 pounds to Fedor because Fedor is so historically dominant. They're like, how can you also give him a size advantage? It obviously didn't work out that way. TRT Hendo got it done. But so like Rory is good. He's an elite lightweight, but he hasn't proven himself at middleweight, light heavyweight and heavyweight. And Moose has gotten loose at three weights like a fucking champ and has so much experience. So. He should have been a heavy favorite. I was leaning Musashi. I wasn't sure how it would play out. It really meant, like, how does the speed translate up? Is Roy faster than Musashi? He wasn't, so he, he got his ass kicked. That's what and, it came down to. And, you know, he had to outspeed him. With the Fitch fight, you know, we've seen three fights where, um, well, I just say two fights, uh, where Rory's just not this, he's not the Red King anymore. There's a reason why he earned the nickname the Red King, because he would either bleed or he would make his opponents bleed throughout his fights. Actually, if you want to even go further back, you can even say the second Robbie Lawler fight where his, um, I think his orbital bone broke, was when he started really changing as a fighter. Uh, if you want to even go back that far. Um, yeah, it was nose. I mean, he had problems with his nose after that, so he broke it in camp before the Wonder Boy fight. Then he also tried to fight Wonderboy like a karate guy. He said he wasn't, he was focusing on what, you know, Thompson was doing, not what he does. But yeah. it's also, Rory's been fighting killers. I mean, Daly is, is no joke. Yeah. It's not Daly a given Daly, because Larkin got knocked out trying to do that. You get Daly to the ground. Listen, my, 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 my mom, who is about 60 years old, if she got Daly to the ground, she could commit him. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that, is that Daly, when his, his, his expertise has never been on the ground, ever. It's always been on the stand-up. Yeah, and Rory, he, he got the better of the, the short bits of stand-up, too. So, I mean, that was a good, that was, that was a good stylistic matchup, but it was a high-level striker he fought. But like, then, but, like, the guys he's fighting, he's not fighting. There are no easy fights there. Lima is an absolute killer. Lima, regardless of ranking, might be one of the best two welterweights in the world skill skill and matchups wise i think that that though the match that you know this is a i think you know even with that you know i don't know i can't see neiman gracie out fighting roy mcdonald i really can't see that i i might out grapple him it could happen well i was thinking about that 
I was thinking about that, and you know, Roy McDonald fought Damian Maya, and other than the first round, I remember Roy McDonald doing pretty well against Damian Maya, who's who has you know you could say is a is a one note fighter. His 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 goal is to get you on the ground and submit you, and he obviously he planned for that. With Gracie, though, you know what's I you know. You know, he's only has nine fights, and they've all been almost all of his submission wins. But I would probably guess it's probably the same thing with Damian Maya is to get the guy on the ground and submit them or submit him standing up. So that's all Roy McDonald has to. I would have to believe that McDonald would win in the stand up, even if he doesn't finish him. I just believe that McDonald is a stronger fighter standing up. Um, I think he's he's got better combos, but he doesn't. I don't think he hits as hard. Oh, Neiman's no. a big boy. He hits harder, I think. I believe. You, you think so? Oh, okay. I mean, he's, a, he's big, man. When you see him next to each other, like Rory's a big frame guy, but he's, but Neiman is like a big boned welterweight. He's he's a big dude. He'll probably end up in middleweight before a year or two is out. He's a big guy. It's not an easy cut. If you tell but, uh, like he hits hard, he just it's just that he goes to his specialty. He's like I'm a grace and will submit you. Yeah. And it works. He got Ed Ruth, but he stood with Ruth, and Ruth has good hands. A wrestler known with good hands. He didn't. He got the better of that. I feel like. Even though, besides that, you know, I would just have to pick Roy McDonald because I think he's maybe just the better fighter overall. And I think, yeah. you know, even if he doesn't finish Demon Grace, I'm pretty sure he can outpoint him. I don't see him submitting him. I think he needed getting Roy McDonald into position to submit Roy McDonald, which is probably is what the game plan he is training for, I have to believe. What do you think, T? Yeah, like, yeah it might be, might be a, more likely to be a decision win because Roy has that great grappling defense it's it's an interesting fight i'm less sure about this fight than a lot of the others yeah like this one and the sonam fight i'm really not sure like the other ones i have like a stronger sense like i would think but um yeah roy gracie's tough because gracie we're still seeing him peak he's he's new to mma but he's an experienced grappling we're still seeing him add tools and he's already winning but this is toughest fight by far like ruth oh, has six fights exactly and roy yeah. has 26 fights and and is fought at a, at a world championship level so yeah, I think um, I think you got to lean Rory, but not with any certainty. It's not a fight I would bet at unless unless Gracie was a big, big underdog, you know, like plus four hundred or something. Then okay, it would be if I were a betting person, it would make it worth it because he's got a better chance than that. But no, no, he's it's probably like sixty forty Rory in my head. What do you think, Christian? Who do you think wins this and and advances to the finals of the Bellator welterweight Grand Prix? I think Roy has a chance to win this from the analysis that y'all given. But considering the fact that y'all have mentioned that, oh, you know, Roy is saved and all this, and all the cryptic messages that he's been putting out in his pre- and post-fight interviews, does he really have, I mean, does he really have any time left to, you know, be fighting? I mean, these could be the last days we'll see him fighting in professional MMA between this fight and if he goes to it, the finals where he'll face you know, off against the, where he'll face off against Douglas Tafinon Lima in the tournament finals should he win. You know, it's funny you bring it up. I actually was thinking like, if he wins this tournament he might actually just retire. I think that this might be his swan song this tournament. Because he'll win the million dollars he'll get the Glados champ def he defends the belt multiple times, because every time he fought in the tournament, he did defend the belt. So, it would be quite a legacy to just retire on, if, it's, if this whole born-again Rory thing is, is uh, if it's not really a gimmick. Yeah, but knowing him, and obviously the fact that he's changed, he's going to realize that money's the root of all evil. 
and he'll probably just <laughs> donate that money back. But still, when it comes down to him, I think that Roy's probably going to win just off of the determination he had from his Fitch fight, but also he needs to realize that what's the one thing that what's the one thing that the Gracies are known for? Submissions. And he's going to real he's going to have to try and work on his submission defense in order to stop Naaman from taking him out. I mean, mostly because Gracie is undefeated. Like, how many finishes does he have out of those nine victories? I think it's all but one. I think he's 9-0 and with eight finishes. I could be wrong. Oh, I see. But still, Rory's going to have to try and do his best to combat that submission grappling of Nem and Gracie, that submission grappling background. And when it comes it's, to tough. Him, it's a tough fight. Gracie's uh -huh. underrated. Yeah, but still, when it comes to Rory, if he wins this fight and possibly goes on to the finals to face Douglas Lima and defend his title against him, I think I could see him be at peace. Or if he makes all that money and he can live and he's like, I, I'm going to live in ministry, I, I would understand it. I just want him to be happy. These guys aren't, these guys who aren't assholes outside the cage who aren't hurting anybody, I just want him to be happy, you know? Yeah, have the career you have, thanks for it. Yeah, we all... Live well and prosper. I mean, he already is at peace with the Lord, you know, live long and prosper and all that. But still, I think it would be cool if this is going to be, you know, his swan song, this fight and the finals against Douglas Lima, should it happen, this might as well be, you know, his farewell. I think it's going to be a happy farewell, at least for him. But he has to get through this damn Gracie fight first. I'll say this as well. I think if he loses, I think he'll retire as well. I think he'll, I think he'll probably retire as well. Because, um, again, you know, basically the same reasons. But if he wins a tournament, but instead it'll happen, it'll happen sooner because he loses a tournament uh, and doesn't get the million dollars. And you know, providing that the whole thing about being born again is uh, not a gimmick and all that. Yeah, it depends. It depends. Cause I mean, he's he's at a really good gym, so it depends how like how his experience is. He's still at Tristar, right? Yeah, he's at a really good gym in Tristar and Mamey, ran by a really corrupt bastard in a Lee Abdel Aziz. No, no, uh, Gracie's the one managed by Ali. Oh, 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 oh. well, I can't remember who manages Rory. No, no, Rory, I don't know who manages him, but Rory trains at uh, TriStar with Faraz. Uh, oh, Faraz the Hobby. Damn. What the fuck is that thing? Yeah, that was his whole thing. He was like GSP's protege who came up just in MMA and not like a specialty, you know, specialty training. Like he just trained MMA, I guess. Something along those lines. Right, right, right. I get what you mean. So, yeah, Faraz the Hobby's been training Rory well. I'm pretty sure he's going to win this fight, but he has to... You know, he has to combat that submission defense, and that's all I'm going to say. And, and the stand-up, and the stand-up, like Gracie, his stand-up is competitive. He's not a guy who, he's not going to be like, I don't have any pop in my punches and kicks, so I'm going to just dive at you repeatedly. Like, he can stand. He could theoretically stand with Rory and do well. It's not uh, out of the realm of possibility. I don't think he's quite as fast, but he's he hits hard. He hits real hard. So it's, it's a good fight. It's a good fight. It's a very competitive fight, and I think Gracie's being underrated a little bit because he, we haven't seen as much from him, but 
the Ruth fight showed a lot of savvy and ability to survive bad positions and turn them into beneficial positions. You know, if a guy's trying to pound you and you're searching for subs, like when he goes to the ground, he's he's in his world. He's it's almost like Verdum sometimes. Finally, we're on the ground. Now I can do all these cool little things, and he has fun with it. So he's a he's a live live threat. So overall, this is a card not to miss. Would you say so, Teep? Hundred percent. This is one of the best, if not the best, cards they've ever done. If you look at get down into the prelims, the important shit like Borix Pico is buried down on the prelims. Uh, that's a massive. That there are a lot of implications with the tournament coming up. Several of these fights could headline their smaller events, but they're all on one card on the zone. I'm a happy man. See all that shit. Mm-hmm. But also, there are a lot of implications. So with the with the 16 man tournament coming up, all the featherweight fights have implications for for how they're bracketed. People want to be in the champions bracket because it's at least at a minimum one fight sooner you'd get to fight for a belt if you. You know, so if it's in their contract, they get paid more as a champion. If it's already written in somehow, they want to, the fastest opportunity to that. So it's going to be a big deal. I, I can't. I tried to narrow it down to 16 guys. If you count Asakura from Ryzen, it was tough to get it down to 16. I was like, shit, I had to start putting alternate belts. Mm-hmm. It's be crazy. I can't wait till that that comes about. They're going to announce it in probably in a couple months. Who knows? So um, I have a question. How, if people want to watch the show, how can they watch uh, Bellator 222? On the DAZN app, or I guess the website too. I've never been to the website, but the DAZN app. It's uh, I think twenty bucks a month if you just go month by month, or it's a hundred bucks for a whole year. Pay all at once. It's a free month trial, as far as I know. If they still have it, I'm not sure. No, they don't. But, uh, they got rid of the trial. I think a few months ago. I got it instantly because I saw Joshua Pavetkin and Bellator 205 and Bellator 206, the Rory Moose fight. I saw all that shit on my free month trial. It was amazing. Easily worth it. I just saw the Joshua fight on DAZN. I watched Triple G fight just now on DAZN. I've watched the Canelo fight on DAZN. It's fucking sweet. You know, no one wants to pay, but 20 bucks a month. I'm going month by month right now. 20 bucks a month is nothing for all that, all that stuff. So and overseas, I'm not sure. In the certain markets, DAZN is the broadcaster, like in Japan. And then elsewhere, it's, it's going to be live on Sky Sports, right? Yeah, their deal with Sky and it's the UK. Going to be on Sky Sports and Channel 5 in the UK. Well, Channel 5 does the Euro Series live, but Sky Sports is doing the other. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, other than that, that's going to be the... I mean, I'm pretty sure it's going to be an incredible card. I mean, I'm probably not going to watch most of it, but I'm going to watch pretty much the important fights. And since... yeah, I've scheduled everything to watch all the fights. I don't always, always watch all the prelims, like, live, but this time I'm watching the whole thing, because a big card like this, they, you know, they draw from local gyms, so some of these fighters with short records, they're from, like, gyms in that area that sell tickets, and if they win big, they get in, they get a permanent contract, or an exclusive contract, and a pay bump. So, I sort of keep my eye on those things, but yeah, it's not necessary for everyone, but these are deep prelims compared to other cards. Mm-hmm. It's like Bellator 200, Bellator 200 in London was, had deep prelims. You had guys like Van Steenis and Shipman and badasses on the, I think to, it might have been Tokov fighting on there too. Fedor's middleweight contender. They, uh, so they've loaded it up. It's, it's a good one to watch all the way through, but 
there's probably seven seven fights plus the Danis fight that are choice. Right. And the Heather Hardy. She always brings she always brings the heat. She earned her nickname. Exactly, exactly. But, but as far as important competitive bookings, like both at a high level, yeah, it's about seven plus the Danis fight, which is like kind of like a it's a free show at this point, but it, he's legit in one area. Mm-hmm. But but, all in all, that's the end of our program. Is there any hey man, way Teach? Mm-hmm. Is there any way that people can get in contact with you, Teach? Yeah, just find me on Twitter. It's Teep to the Junk. And uh I think you know, I think this card, like a lot of things will probably be announced either during or after this card. Maybe before the London card or, or at the presser for the London card, which is huge. You know, the Musasi's fighting Lovato. The main event, Lovato's another undefeated grappling expert, and uh, that's going to be huge. So I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of big news once all these fights at Bellator 22 play out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so let's call it. We've talked a long time. I got to go out with my wife, and uh, but I, I so much appreciate you having me, man. It's going to be epic. I'll definitely see you on Twitter, of course. And I will see you on Twitter as well because we are both members of Focus Fights. We'll cover, I mean, we cover all the fight scenes around the world, the scenes in the U.S., U.K., Russia, Japan, South Korea, and, well, South America. Oh, they might be. You can, I mean, we'll be emphasized. You can follow us on Twitter at Focus Fights. You can like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Focus Fights. Oh, and Sweet. All right, man. I don't Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's some there's some side noise going on. Which it's been cool, man. I'm looking forward to this card. I will see you online. Yeah, okay, I will see you on social media, my friend. And yes, sir. Hey, Chris, one last one last thing. Let's get together in the next few days and do a King Mo tribute. Yeah. Since he announces, he he needs a lot of praise. People don't realize, you know, there's like what three male Grand Prix champs in recent years. Mm-hmm. Pride rules. He's him, Krokop, and Gucci. That's some rarefied fucking air he walks in. People don't give him credit. We can do a show, right? Yep, damn right. We're we're planning on doing a retrospective in a few days, and we hope that you'll be able to join us, T. That's what's up. Cool, man. Cool. Thanks so much. You're you're welcome. No problem, man. Anytime. All right, brother. See ya. All right. See you later. And as far as the rest of the plugs go. You can check me out on Facebook at facebook.com slash GMMA Opinion. It's probably one of the better blog sites on Facebook right now. It's probably one of the better blog sites for MMA on social media, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisGary92. You can follow Andrew Benjamin, our esteemed host, who had to get out for a little partying, I guess, on this early Sunday evening, June 9th. You can follow him at abenja1, A-B-E-N-J-A, and the number one, all in one word. And you can also follow us at We Are Rising Pod, that is W-E-A-R-E-R-I-Z-I-N-P-O-D, all in one word. And you can also check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or hopefully soon, wherever you get your podcast. Until then, and until we get our King Mo retrospective out of the way, for Andrew Benjamin, for Teep to the Junk, this is the Chillmeister Chris Gary saying peace my peoples in one love world, and as always, 
as the great Lenny Hart always says when it comes down to this particular podcast. We out this mug. Later.